about that apology. Otherwise, uh, welcome everybody. Feel free to participate uh, in this meeting and shape uh, the bills um, that we need to do. Uh, otherwise, officials from the department, officials from the portfolio committee, uh, members of the media, if they are here with us, a very good morning and a warm welcome uh, to the meeting. I have, as I've said, three apologies. I've already dealt with the apology from the minister. The other honorable member who has written an apology is uh, Honorable Noluchungu. Uh, he is attending to the doctor. And uh, we have um, also an apology to, from the deputy minister. The apology is saying the minister, deputy minister had arranged, had a prior arrangement with the back to school event in Peter Marie's back. And that apology was sent by Lesiho Itumele. Uh, those are the three apologies that has formally, through the correct channels, uh, reached my table. Am I correct, Valerie? Chair, that you are correct. And there was also apology from Mr. Sabisi this morning um, from the NFP who's attending the committee that he's a full, full time member on. Is the apology properly written, Valerie? Definitely, Chair, and was sent by happiness on oh. behalf of Mr. Sabisi. Okay, I did, I, I did miss that one. Is Lesejo in the meeting? I'm not sure, Chair, maybe the department. Can no, Chair. No, she's with the Deputy Minister. Okay, I was just, I had a, a bit of a concern, but uh, I'll raise maybe with the Office of the Deputy Minister. Back to school event. Um, uh, yeah, let me leave it at that. Honorable Minister, we are on item number one, where the department is going to brief us uh, on the National Land Transport, Transport Amendment Bill on matters pertaining to the president's reservations on the bill. Can we allow you, honorable minister, to lead us on this on this one? And I'm sure thereafter you'll give to your officials uh, to further present to us as you will be leaving. Let me allow you that space. Thank you very much and a very good morning. I can see you're bright and energetic this morning. Welcome, uh, uh, Honorable Minister. Chairperson uh, Mangete and um, members of the Portfolio Committee, Deputy Minister of Transport, Ms. Sindisiwe Chikunga, Honorable members of the Portfolio Committee. 
In 2020, the National Assembly passed uh, the National Land Transport Amendment Bill to give effect to a number of uh, provisions that aimed at uh, strengthening the regulatory framework and broaden the powers of the national and provincial spheres of government in relation to subsidized uh, bus contracts. The president sent the bill back to parliament in September 2021, flagging a number of uh, reservations with specific clauses that confer power on the national and provincial spheres of government to conclude subsidized bus contracts. We are under no illusion that our task is confined to these specific clauses that were flagged by the president and does not include other provisions contained in the bill. The amendments to the National Land Transport Act that are subject of today's discussion were necessitated by the difficulties experienced over the years of building requisite capacity at local government level. This capacity is necessary to enable the transfer of public transport services to the most appropriate sphere of government. Our policy framework takes due regard of the provisions of the constitution, which requires that municipal public transport be managed at that level. We have put in place a legal framework that guides public transport planning at municipal level, which planning enables decision-making and allocation of resources. It is precisely this planning that will then enable municipalities to rationalize public transport services and ensure an effective rollout of integrated public transport networks. This will equally enable a redesign of services that will allow us to make a clean break from apartheid spatial planning and shorten commuting uh, time. The legislative amendments were meant to empower the provincial and national spheres of government to step in and ensure continued provision of subsidized public transport services where relevant municipalities are yet to develop capacity to manage this on their own. This is a crucial intervention that will enable us to move faster in redesigning services in a manner that ensures modal integration and the introduction of a subsidy scheme that is informed by travel demand. We do believe that the necessary interventions to build the requisite capacity can be affected through the current legislative framework. This includes issuing a ministerial direction in the event either a province or municipality fails in fulfilling an executive obligation as provided for in section 5.6 of the municipal, um, of the principal act. The monitoring measures provided for in the annual division of revenue act is an additional instrument that enables strict monitoring of the use of conditional grants. 
In conclusion, having taken due regard of the interventions provided for in section 100 and 139 of the constitution, we believe that uh, the most appropriate policy position will be one that favors strengthening the capacity of provinces to intervene and ensure continuity in the provisions of public transport services at municipal level. This can be achieved through a number of measures, some of which are already provided for in the existing enactment of the NLTA. I thank you, uh, Mangete. I will then call the acting uh, DG and the DDGs uh, to take you through the presentation. Thank you. Asbonge Chola, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister. Uh, I know we are going to lose you due to other commitments. Uh, hope you have a better day. Um, thank you very much for that. Acting DG. Um, uh, good morning, Chair, and uh, good morning to the esteemed members of Parliament and the committee, portfolio committee. Chair, um, we will start by presenting to you the National Land Transport Act, uh, uh, number uh, five of 2009, uh, as the principal act. And I will call upon uh, Acting Deputy Director General, Ms. Manana, to, to take you through the presentation, Chair. And over to you, uh, DDG. Thank you, um, DDG. Good morning, Chairperson. Um, good morning, Minister. Uh, good morning, uh, members of the Portfolio Committee. Um, and um, colleagues uh, in the transport sector from the department and ministry. Um, as the acting DG, DG has said, I'm Kili Manana and I am acting. Um, I'll take you through the presentation uh, for today. Um, can I be given the powers to share the presentation? I am... Borrowing you, I can't give you, give uh, I will borrow you the powers to share. Valerie, let's borrow give you powers to share. <laughs> That's okay. has been done a while ago, Ms. Manana. Okay, thank you. Thank you, you ma'am. Um, okay. Um, can you put it on? Chair, okay. can you see the presentation? I don't see the presentation. I see the roads and the... <laughs> if that is the presentation, yes, I'm seeing it. Thank you, Chair. Um, okay, so... Um, so as we indicated, we, we're providing a briefing to the portfolio committee uh, to respond to um, concerns that were raised by the president or other reservations uh, on some provisions in the bill. 
Um, so the presentation will cover, uh, just give a brief background and then also present the president's reservation and our response to each of those. And then we then end with a conclusion. Just to remind uh, the committee um, members, honorable members, that the act originally was enacted to continue a process that was started by the National Land Transport Transition Act of 2000. Um, and, and that act initiated the process to transform and restructure the land transport um, system in South Africa. And so the bill was developed to update the act. There have been changes since 2009. And also, I think most of the members would be aware of the e-hailing services. We needed to provide for the regulation of those services and then also provide for the amendment of uh, contracting arrangements, among other issues. So, <clears throat> so the objective of the Principal Act was to consolidate all functions uh, to the local sphere to deal with fragmentation of functions. And um, according to the Principal Act, only municipalities have got the power to enter into new public transport contracts. And um, however, there have been challenges since 2009 because not not even a single municipality has actually been able to take over. Um, some of the old contracts are from provinces, even though some of the municipalities, especially the, the ones implementing integrated public transport networks are performing the contracting function. Um, what we're finding with other municipalities, they don't have that capacity to perform that function. So um, the act therefore was allowing provinces um, the original act allowed provinces as well, as well as national to continue being a contracting authority for old order based contracts. Now, in trying to deal with this matter of capacity, uh, the bill ba basically sought to amend section 11 um, of, of the original act that then uh, allowed only municipalities to uh, uh, enter into contracts it now proposed that uh, provinces could uh, conclude a new contract and that also national government could also intervene where provinces and municipalities fail to perform this duty. Now, the president expressed reservations about clauses 7A, 7B, 7H, 7I, 7J, 7K, 7L, and 7M. And it was based on objections raised by Salga and the city of Cape Town. And so I will basically briefly go into uh, the reservations that the president raised. The first reservation um, is on clause 7A. It deals with the contracting function, granting the contracting function uh, to national sphere of government. And the president basically raised a concern saying that um, this is a function of local government. Um, as I think I indicated earlier on that public transport is a concurrent function across the national sphere, provincial sphere, as well as local sphere. But certain functions, for example, municipal public transport is only for um, or is only to be uh, performed by a municipality. So, um, so now this concern is it's really linked to that, that um, national sphere cannot um, assume local government functions for itself. And that also the difficulty with that clause, it was just conferring powers 
to national um, on a whole lot of a wide range of contracts, irrespective of whether they were national, uh, provincial, or local in scope. <clears throat> and our response as a department, uh, we indicate that a schedule for parts A and B of the constitution, as I indicated earlier on, allocates public transport to all three spheres. And therefore, um, we suggest that, um, and we do recognize that uh, municipal public transport is only for the benefit or rather to be performed by a municipal sphere. And therefore, we can uh, agree to uh, delete that national, that national sphere has powers um, to perform that function on behalf of the municipality. And therefore, we, we propose that we delete that clause. And then we also then say that the minister can use uh, a section five, six of the nation of the principal act that basically provides for him to intervene uh, on matters of public transport. And also that the constitution also allows us to, or allows the minister rather to intervene uh, through section 11 and uh, in provinces and also section 139 in municipalities. The second clause uh, uh, of the reservation raised is 7, 7B. And this one deals with the granting of powers to the pro provincial sphere. And we indicate uh, a chair and, and honorable members that um, the president also raised a similar reservation um, to that clause and that um, it effectively was also saying that um, municipalities could only perform that function if they met certain requirements and criteria to be prescribed by the minister and therefore that the province must, must then step in and conclude new contracts on behalf of the, of, of the municipality. And therefore, this also becomes a constitutionality issue in the sense that municipal public transport can only function can only be performed by um, a municipality. And our response, um, Chair and Honourable Members, is that um, the department is of the view that um, that the function to provinces as currently provided in clause 7b of the of the amendment bill can can then be also taken away that we will not allow provinces um, to then perform that function on behalf of uh, municipalities and that municipalities will have the exclusive right to conclude those new contracts as originally uh, proposed by the principal act and that however provinces can still perform this function on behalf of the municipality if they don't have capacity or whatever circumstances um, they may present um, and we will use then section 12 of the principal act to then allow the municipality and the province to enter into an agreement where the province can then perform that function on behalf of the municipality. And basically section 12 uh, provides for that. Class 7C, uh, 7C, um, H, sorry, 7, class 7H um, basically was um, indicating that municipalities can only perform that function, a contracting function, if they meet certain requirements and criteria to be prescribed by the minister. It was basically then amending section 11.6 um and the new section 11.9 and the concern expressed by the president was that the constitutionality of this provision uh, basically along the same grounds that national and provincial government cannot assume a municipal 
uh, functions. And that also um, the, the, the other second concern about the new section 11.6 was that it basically was allowing provinces to act as contracting authority for contracts concluded under the National Transaction Act until those contracts lapse or expire or are canceled or replaced. And basically now there were words inserted that unless that function has been assigned to a municipality. So basically it was then saying, it was allowing them to continue to then um, be contracting authority um, for, for those old contracts. Even when an instance where the municipality was then ready to take on those, uh, uh, that, that contract rather, um, then they were not going to be enabled to do that, taking that power away from the municipality so that it can then perform or it can be assigned uh, that contract and that function. And then thirdly, there was a concern that there was no flexibility uh, in the provision um, in, in that uh, it will only apply even if the contract is exclusively for public transport within a specific municipality. And in, even if the municipality had capacity, which is what I had just said, that it then limited um, that flexibility. When the municipality has got capacity to perform it, then they wouldn't be able to do that because then uh, the province would have the powers to continue uh, to be the contracting authority on those old water contracts. The department agrees that the pro proposed proviso uh, or provision in clause 7H, um, which then provided for prescribed requirements and criteria by the minister be deleted, and that uh, we agree that the municipality will have exclusive right to then conclude um, a, a new contract. Then clause 7I, Okay, um, clause 7i was basically looking at exemption from the proviso to section 11c. And, basic, and basically it was uh, proposing that municipalities must apply or may apply to the minister for exemption uh, from the need to comply with the prescribed requirements and criteria that the minister would have said before they can contract. And therefore this has been uh, raised as a, it has been objected on the basis of constitutional grounds. And the department's response is that we agree that uh, this clause should be deleted as a consequential amendment um, as the proviso to section 111C Roman figure 21 will be deleted. And then clause 7J, um, was also, uh, it had to do with assignment of the contracting function. Um, and also the, that clause 7J will, will make a consequential amendment to section 1112 of the act where the removal of the assignment of the contracting function um, was then going to be effected in the sense that the municipality wouldn't be able to, to be assigned that contracting function. And it's also been exp uh, expressed or the reservation expressed is, is that it's also objected to on the basis of the constitutionality of that provision. 7J, um, okay, the department's response. Uh, Chair and honorable members, we are greeting, we are agreeing that uh, we delete that clause 7J as well, um, and that the assignment of the function should be retained um, in, in the original act, and that um, then the, the municipality would then be able to be assigned that function and also then remove the need for them to apply um, to meet uh, certain prescribed requirements and criteria as was proposed in 
the amendment bill. And then uh, the rest of the uh, clauses, uh, Chairperson and Honourable Members, are also then a consequential amendment in relation to the removal of the assignment of the contracting function. And therefore, Clause 7K, it, it's a similar issue. And um, it's been a question on the basis of constitutionality. And the department agrees that we then remove that Clause 7K. And then the next one uh, is 7L. Um, and also we we as we we are agreeing that we also uh, delete seven l um uh, yeah and then there's also seven m yes um and then seven m as well um it was providing that provinces can act as um a contracting authority for contracts concluded under the transition act and the, the concern expressed was that um, that they should, yes, basically that the, the amendment bill was giving provinces the power to continue to act. Um, and that uh, the, the, the reservation was that it then, there was no flexibility in that um, it basically then allowed the province to continue being the contracting authority, um, even on a function or on a contract that could easily be then um, performed by the municipality uh, because it then had the capacity to administer that contract. So we also are agreeing that we remove um, 7M, uh, that loss, uh, and that it should be deleted uh, to leave Section 11.6 of the Principal Act as it is. In conclusion, um, Chairperson and the Honourable Members, um, the, the Department is of the view that we, we basically agree with the reservations that uh, have been raised by the President and that we will remove uh, all those clauses or provisions in the amend amendment bill as indicated earlier on and that uh, we propose that going forward um, that section 11a um, 11.1a uh, 6 of the principal act provides that the national sphere of government um, is responsible for capacitating and monitoring provinces and also that provinces must also do the same thing, capacitate and monitor municipalities uh, so that the lack of capacity or resources to perform the land transport function is then addressed. So we're saying this section, there is a section that then uh, mandates us to build that capacity and uh, both national and provincial should then um, perform, uh, make sure that we perform in relation to those clauses. Further, Section 11AB6 uh, also provides that, okay, I've already said that, that the provincial sphere must then build the capacity in municipalities, and that we further say, given the capacity challenge in the different municipalities, that um, together with provinces, we must make sure that those provisions in the Principal Act are then ensured to uh, create that capacity that is required for municipalities to then uh, be become contracting authorities and that they then perform the function as originally uh, uh, proposed by the principal act. Thank you, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. This is the end of uh, our presentation. Thank you for your attention. Uh, Kibi? Yes, Chair? Can you bring back our power of sharing? Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> that is the end of the presentation.
just to, rem to remind members that uh, uh, we were told about uh, the situation that the president has expressed some reservations at some point. And we had a very small discussions. I remember one honorable member say, saying, I told you that uh, some of the clause here uh, would actually land us in, in the situation where we are. Um, I'm saying that because I want to remember that <clears throat> there was some willingness in this committee to look into the president's reservations. And uh, now we are also going to be looking into basically the what the department is saying, which I see as basically agreeing with the president and say uh, initiating a process where we should delete some of the laws and amend some of the laws. Uh, so there are two there are two options here, and I'm going to say Valerie should explain those pro uh, options so that we are clear on the processes as I allow members to uh, participate so that we don't waste a lot of time really struggling in terms of which process are we following. Uh, Ms. Karalse, are you with us? Chair, I am with you. Um, as I've indicated to you this morning, um, Limited bills are dealt with in terms of Joint Rule 203, and it states that the committee must confine itself to the President's reservations, and that was reiterated by Parliament's legal advisor on the question in the previous meeting on what portion should be dealt with if the committee could deal with other portions, but the rules are clear, Chair. It says must confine itself to the President's reservations. Further, Chair, I've indicated to you as well, this bill is a sec it was tagged as a Section 76 bill. And in terms of the rule, the committee must also confer with the correspond corresponding council committee. Um, it doesn't say how it should confer, but I would think, Chair, that a joint meeting on this bill uh, as the committee process it will, 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 uh, will suffice. And further, Chair, it's, the rule says the committee must report to the National Assembly on the President's reservations. If the committee agrees with the President's reservations, the committee must present with its report an amended bill to correct those defects as it was raised in the reservations, Chair. So the committee will then go through a process where uh, there would be a new list of amendments and a new bill. So the bill numbers would obviously change. There would be a, um, the A list would become the E list. The bill, the bill would become an F bill because already the NCOP had a C and a D version of the bill. So the committee will then go through its process as normally how it would amend, amend bills and finalize the final version. That is when the committee agrees to share with the president's reservations. If the committee does not agree with the president's reservations, the committee will report as such. And if the report is adopted by the House, the remitted bill, bill in its current form would be returned to the president 
with a message that the National Assembly does not agree with the reservations of the president. Um, so that is the process chair. Um, but for now, um, the most important part is the, the, that it must confine itself with, with the reservations. And it's important that they must be at some stage um, a meeting with the, with the NCOP so that the committee can finalize whatever its decision it's making on this bill. That's all from me, Che, for now. <clears throat> for now, that's all from Ms. Karelse. Thank you very much, Ms. Karelse. I now open this floor to the honorable members of the committee. Uh, no coping, please, today. Uh, let me see hands and close. After noting those hands, I'll then close the hand session. We have um, Honorable Unsinga, um, followed by Ubaba Umanu, followed by Ubaba Uketa Amabala Wagastole. Mondise Keta. Any other hand? Nobody should say I did not see them uh, because I will close my list of Baba Makosini will come. Thank you. You have raised your hand today because uh, if members want to speak, they say they speak like you without raising their hands. Honorable. Umsegas Ubaba Ukris Unsengr Good Morgan Akbarelede. You can come in. Schönen guten Morgen, Herr Vorsitzender Beamte. Um, Chairperson, thank you for the opportunity. Um, good morning, colleagues. Uh, thank you for the department for uh, the submission. I also want to acknowledge the presence of uh, Minister Mbalula. Um, Chairperson, um, the NLTA uh, offered an opportunity for change. Uh, I do recognize that the change which we are considering is confined to the reservations expressed by the President's office. Um, but I must uh, take this opportunity to just put on record that this was the second time where this bill was passed in a very hasteful manner. Um, the NLTA bill is the ideal opportunity, Chairperson, uh, to address so many and still currently outstanding matters and issues in the relationship management of public transport stakeholders and the environment. And for the second time, this was, was, was missed. Um, therefore, this bill was passed in a very hasteful manner. Warnings, indeed, as you confirmed, Chairs, were raised that there are constitutional issues uh, which might stand in conflict, which is now being pointed out. So, Chairperson, all I want to submit is that still there are outstanding matters in terms of public transport, um, relationship management, which need to be addressed which we constantly, on a continuous basis, of, have matters and issues with in, in uh, operations um, and in conflicting uh, circumstances. Um, therefore, Chairperson, I beg you to please uh, 
let's consider to after completing this process to again get the NLTA um, back on the table so that we can address those matters. Um, the reservations and conflict um, uh, conflicts that were mentioned, um, I, I uh, absolutely support the process going forward. I think it is important that uh, the F version would be printed and that that would give us a particular insight uh, of how the bill would read um, in its uh, form as suggested by uh, the department now. The F bill will certainly assist in that because it's difficult now to relate to the context and alignment to other portions of the bill. In particular, um, this, uh, the fact that um, Section 12 has also been amended um, to allow for provincial transport authority in the formation thereof. And I do have concerns about the appropriateness of this, uh, which the department is now relying on, and the Section 7 sub B uh, concern. So we will have to look at that again, but the F version will certainly help us to then look at that again. So, Chairperson, I do support um, uh, the notion that we have a joint meeting with the Select Committee in the NCOP since it was a Section 76 bill. Um, so I do support that notion so that we can at least process uh, what is currently at table. But again, I ask you to please consider uh, that the NLTA needs to be returned to the table of the Portfolio Committee for further improvements in the relationship of public transport uh, stakeholder relationship. Thank you, Chairperson. <clears throat> Duncan Chair. Um, honorable member, Vegas. Jambas. Mon Mon morning, Honorable Mangate. Honorable Mangate. Morning, colleagues. Uh, to the Minister and the Department. Chair. I think um, my colleague, although that was not the reason I raised my hand, who has just spoken, Honorable Hunsinger, raises a couple of issues uh, which are difficult not to comment on and solicit some more information, which if you allow me, I will start with and then make my comments. Um, firstly, I would have asked also the nature of the joint meeting with the NCOP and uh, the time frames that we have. That would have been my question after the input by uh, Ms. Carlse to say what limitations do we have, who initiates that meeting so that uh, I think we agree that we need to do that as quickly as possible. Uh, my second comment, again, emanating from my colleagues' input, is that F version, which Ms. Carlsa had mentioned. Once more, my input there is the time frames. When can we expect it? Because it then gives us, as my colleague has said, a full picture of all these amendments or corrections, whatever we want to call them, and their implication there, Roth. Uh, 
lastly on my colleague's comments he says the committee should make sure that the NLTA comes back for other issues that is raising mine again there is an issue of process uh, who initiates that process uh, so that again we can put time frames to it if the committee agrees but um, for me if if uh, if the committee agrees which i i don't think we should have a problem doing it we should rather put time frames so that we don't have these things open ended uh, maybe there's nothing to be dealt with but my colleague feels there are issues to be dealt with so let's confront it and deal with it once and for all now going back to the presentation chair i'm seeking only one clarity um one the presenter i just couldn't get the slide number said before i think she was speaking about uh, the 7b uh, concerns the slide before that she was speaking about the reliance on section 56 uh, that could be relied on or could be used uh, in terms of what was being proposed or being raised as concerns by the president in the same vein as section 12 which my colleague has spoken to i would like to hear what does that section 56 say that it seems the department is falling back on before we say we agree or we don't agree with that portion thank you very much chairperson those are my submissions and inputs Uh, thank you, Baba Umfene. Mundis? Bangat. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, greetings to all members of the Portfolio Committee, to the Minister, and to the Department. Honorable <coughs> Chairperson, uh, actually, I'm agree with. Uh, the notion that the the NRTA should should return to us so that we can debate and and and, and, and make our submission to to that uh, uh, NRTA. But my 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 concern, Chairperson, I don't know to hear me because of the network issue issue here. My 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 concern, Chairperson, is that one. If you check the whole presentation. It talk about the interventions of the provinces and the national department to to, to to municipalities, but there is nothing that talk to the capacity capacitation of 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 the municipalities, because if you want, because the all the the, the, the constructions and implementation are are, are being happened at, at the municipalities. But if you don't capacitate the municipalities or the metros for for the for, 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 for implementation, it means that we are now centralizing the whole process of, of, of this uh, of this bill. So Chairperson, I cannot uh, talk more because if the committee do agree that we are going to 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 to, to return that one to the portfolio committee. And have a time frame, as our honourable Manu says, 
I think uh, I can stop there. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Chair. So I got Mina, I've got a different view. Okay. Uh, why don't we follow the normal procedure of doing our job? And after doing our job, uh, hand over to NCOP so that it can do the completion and hand over. Then my question would be, if the municipality is unable to do or perform a certain function, what is to be done? Is the function to be neglected or is the province allowed to intervene and lay a helping hand as a sphere of government? Thank you, Chairperson. Honorable Makwazini. I'm done, Chairperson. I said thank you. Did you hear me? I, I, I have not suggested that you are not done. I, I, oh. I want to I want to uh, just get clarity from you. As I'm listening to you, you are agreeing that uh, we should undertake a process. <clears throat> that will allow us to amend, delete uh, the clause as raised by the president. But uh, your different view is when should we interact with NCOP? Do I hear you, Professor? Exactly, sir. Thank you very much. The rest of the clarification issues, we will send, uh, we will allow the department to come back and clarify. Thank you. <clears throat> that is the last hand on my list. Um, let's get clarifications. There were um, questions for clarity. Uh, Valerie, you want to clarify the process before I give back to the department? Chair, there was a question on who initiates, if, there's, if the committee agrees to a, a joint meeting, who initiates it. Um, it will be the portfolio committee because um, the referral reads, uh, of the reservations reads that it's the, the portfolio's committee's duty to, to consider those reservations and report on it. Um, there was also a question on timeframes, Chair. Um, I would suggest, Chair, looking at the Parliament program, um, a good time to, to process this bill further would be directly after the budget votes and the strategic planning sessions. Um, so it would be towards May of this year. Um, and then, Chair, um, at what stage does the committee, if it meets with the NCOP, at what stage does it meet? 
if the committee agrees to to the president's reservation share, I would I would suggest to meet as soon as a decision has been made and when there is at least a draft um, list of of amendments. Um, I'm not sure if there's any other questions, Shay. <clears throat> I think there will be a question here, which is a technical question. <clears throat> One honourable member says uh, he feels that this bill was hastily processed. I think we need to heed that call and take <clears throat> and, and be proper this time around if there's an issue of feeling that we are running too fast ahead of us. Um, as the joint committee, we should uh, look in, into that issue. Um, I see a hand uh, up. Um, Honorable Nzinga. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, um, this bill is tagged as a Section 76. I would I would strongly suggest, Chairperson, that you from your chair also lodge an inquiry in terms of parliamentary procedure and just find out whether there's been previous um, similar conditions because I'm not convinced that a meeting with a select committee would cover the process of involving provinces adequately in the representation of the select committee. So what I recommend, Chairperson, is that you just find out legally and procedurally so that we don't run into trouble in the mere acceptance that an engagement with a select committee in the NCOP indeed represents all nine provinces. If you could just get that clarity for your own sake, Chairperson, uh, just as a word of course. Thank you, Chair. Duncan Shen. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Um, Valerie, let's ensure that we follow all the legal requirements that uh, uh, we should uh, check as we move. Honorable Manu. Thank you, Chair. Uh, sorry for that. My colleague, uh, Honorable Hunsinger, uh, keeps on throwing things and doesn't make a suggestion. Assuming that his, uh, his advice to you is correct, that it doesn't include everyone in the provinces, what would be his proposal? So that we don't go back and forth, so that when you get that advice, at least you take everything into consideration so that when we move, we move uh, swiftly. So I would plead with my colleague, uh, which we appreciate always his input and advices, what could be an advice should that be the case as he's suspecting. Thank you, Chair. <clears throat> Thank you, Honorable Manu. Um... I'm sure once we have an opinion on this matter, we will follow that opinion. Uh, Honorable Honsinger is raising this as a caution. 
that uh, as we move, let's make sure that we have closed all the loopholes so that we're not seated here for the third time uh, because we have missed a step. So the 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 opinion or the legal advice will will um, dictate to us how do we move forward and how should there be any other issue that is raised and uh, I will bring it back to the portfolio committee to deal with it so that it's a collective effort. Let me allow the department at this point in time to clarify issues that uh, needs to be clarified. If there are any issues from the side of the department, Kibi or Obabumati, acting DG. Anything from your side? Oh, Minister is still here. I thought you are gone, uh, uh, Jola. Uh, my apology. Ngena, Ngena, Minister. Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Uh, very briefly, in terms of the issues, uh, we have noted uh, the concerns raised by Honorable Ansinga, and uh, we are happy to engage with the committee uh, on the matters of concern once this process uh, has been uh, concluded. Uh, Honorable Manu. Uh, the reliance on section uh, five uh, bracket six is to the extent that the minister uh, is empowered to issue directions uh, to provinces, to provincial executive councils or municipal councils. And uh, such interventions will include a determination uh, of the the province or municipality to the NLTA to provide necessary to municipality in uh, honorable Sitole uh, in my opening remarks I emphasize the point that our policy posture favors uh, strengthening the capacity of provinces uh, to step in and ensure there is no vacuum. But uh, this extends to assisting municipalities in developing uh, the requisite capacity. This is a, is a similar point, uh, Honorable uh, Makosini. Uh, also uh, uh, raised. Uh, I don't know the departmental people want to clarify some of the issues, salient points out of the interventions, uh, but uh, thank you very much, uh, Manget, Chairperson. Honorable Minister, thank you very much. Let's see if uh, the officials, 
of the department uh, wants to add. I'm sure they they can't uh, um, deduct or subtract. Honorable Chaperson, I I think the minister has covered um, most of the points made um, in in his response. Uh, So I don't think I should be adding anything, um, except just to say that the NLTA does give us, as, as he said, there are provisions within the NLTA that then allows him to um, intervene and then that also then um, mandates us as national uh, to build capacity for both spheres, provincial and municipal, and also allows the provincial sphere to build capacity. So there are provisions in the Act that um, allows us to do that. We must just make sure that we implement them. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much. That settles this item. Um, We now can move to the next item. Um, Next item will be the responses by the department on ERT bill. Um just want to check. Responses by the Department on, of Transport on further written submission comments on the proposed additional amendments. Let's go back to the department. Um If the minister wants to start, uh, we we fine with that. But back to the department. Um, we'll hand over to the ADG on this one, uh, Chair. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Thank you the, to the members and the minister and the colleagues from the department. Chair, <clears throat> the deliberations on the economic regulation of the transport bill uh, 2020, and then the department will be represented by Ms. Mashava, the BDG responsible for ITP. I will hand over to her, Chair. Thank you very much. Mashaba. Mashaba. Good morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Awa. Tukile mashaba. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, Chairperson. Um, good morning, members of the Portfolio Committee, and good morning, colleagues from DOT. Um, may I please share my screen? Okay. Okay. Um, thank you once again, Chairperson. Um, I'll go right into the presentation. So ours outlines um, the Picard written submissions, our general observations and comments, and the response from DOT. 
Um, the presentation was prepared um, as a request for a matrix um, pertaining to the written public comments, which were received on the additional amendments in the A-list. Um, these were published on the 17th of December, 2021, with the due date of the 4th of February, 2022. Um, as we had mentioned um, in the previous meeting, 13 comments were received from the Secretariat of PICOT on the 8th of Feb, 2022. The comments were received from the following organizations. So it was from the Western Cape Department of Transport and Public Works, Uber, Tra Traction Shelter, Dr. Douglas Blackmore, How Train, Transnet, um, the Ports Regulator of South Africa, the Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa, the Regulating Committee, which represents ATNS and EXA, African Rail Industrial Association, the South African Association of Ship Operators and Agents, the Airline Association of Southern Africa, International Air Transport Association and Board of Airline Representatives, South Africa, and the Freight Logistics Association. Basically, we uh, made our general observations and comments and um, as it relates to how train management agency, um, they did not make comments on the A-list. However, they also did not have further comments um, to submit um, to the portfolio committee regarding the bill. The Western Cape province um, made comments on both the bill and the A-list and their view is that they do not support the bill and they propose that the commenting period be extended to allow for further public participation. The regulating committee as well um, did not comment on the A-list. Um, however, they did make certain proposals um, on the bill itself. Um, the um, ASA, IATA and BASA, they also did not make further comments to the A-list um, and the comments that we, we received were mainly um, to the benefit of the aviation industry. The, the freight logistics associations, um, they also did not make concerns um, or comments rather to the A-list, but they did raise uh, certain issues as it relates to the bill. Um, traction Shelter as well, they did not make comments to the A-list. Um, they did make comments on the bill itself and they raised concerns on section 8 and section, section 50 of the bill. Um, to move to the next screen. Uh, PRASA, they made comments on both the bill and the A-list. However, we noticed that the concerns um, raised over the bill were on how the bill would assist the entity to achieve um, its mandate as outlined in the Legal Succession Act. The Southern African Association of Ship Operators and Agents, they had no comments on the A-list and they are in support of the intentions of the bill. Transnet, they did make comments on both the bill and the A-list and they raised um, concerns around the price control and amendments of the National Ports um, Act. The Ports Regulator, made comments as well to both the bill and the A-list, and they proposed additional amendments to the definitions and the clauses, and, the clauses, and they require further clarity on the transitional arrangements. 
Uber uh, made no comments to the A-list and they have no concerns. Uh, they did not raise any concerns relating to the bill. And Dr. Douglas, um, also the comments were primarily focused on the expansion of the definitions and certain clauses um, of the bill. And um, African, no, um, ARIA also had um, their comments were primarily focused on the expansion of the um, definitions and certain clauses of the bill. Um, Chairperson, I would like to invite the project manager, Mr. Mokezi, um, to take the committee through the, um, the matrix that has been compiled. Thank you. That <clears throat> is cool, is he the one you are inviting? Uh, uh, yes. Me? Yes, Shepherdson. Thank you. Okay. Honorable Chairperson, good morning. Um, may I request to be borrowed the sharing rights so that I can navigate around the presentation on the response of the Department of Transport? You are borrowing the rights. Please navigate. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you. Can you see the screen? We see you, not the screen. Host disabled participant screen sharing. The rights have not yet been given, Chair. Oh, Valerie, please convey the rights. Chair, I've given him the rights now, but can uh, the department also send us the documents that they've been tabled, presented since this morning, because the table documents are different to what has been sent to the committee. I did realize that I was trying to be polite. Uh, department, please send us the new documents. Valerie uh, raised this matter with my I thought the matter would be sorted quickly. Uh, thank you, Valerie. The rights are conferred and that they make it although temporarily so. Thank you so much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, good morning once again, and good morning to the Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, colleagues, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I I'm humbled by the opportunity given to me to present the response of the department uh, with regard to the comments received uh, to date. Uh, as it was uh, presented by the DDG, uh, most of the comments uh, were squarely on the bill itself, uh, not so much on the A-list. The institution that made uh, a number of comments on the A-list, it's the Western Cape government. Uh, which somehow helped a lot in terms of uh, having to improve the, 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 the wedding and the drafting of the A-list, which I will share with the members on it. Uh, but firstly, in terms of the table that is in front of you, I would want to begin to articulate uh, some proposals which were made by Asa Ayata Basa, which are the three associations in the aviation industry. Uh, in terms of definitions, uh, the, the proposal with respect to the wedding access is that it needs to be changed to, to be a user 
it is important to understand that uh, they are reflecting on their aviation industry um, and therefore we appreciate the, their suggestion. However, when you look at the department's response is that it is difficult to tailor make uh, definitions for each sector of transport or each subsector of transport. Uh, the way we've coached the, the definition of, of, of access, uh, it's in the main to make sure that it covers uh, all the transport subsectors uh, because the intention of, of the definition stipulated in the bill is to focus on infrastructure and facilities which are catalyst for access of movement of goods and people. And therefore we suggest not to change the definition to reflect only the aviation sector, but maintain the current uh, wording of access uh, instead of changing it to user. The next point, which relates to the first, first point, it's about access agreement. A similar response is, 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 is provided to say, we shouldn't change it because uh, if you change it to, to, to user, you therefore also have to change access agreement to user agreement. So we would want to maintain consistency in terms of uh, access uh, wording of, 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 of the discussion around this matter. Then the additional comment that was made by Western Cape uh, Department of Transport and Public Works on access was that the definition should be extended to provide for other types of access seekers not only those who provide goods or services to customers. And therefore they propose that we revise the definition in light of this comment. Uh, once again, the intention of the definition as stipulated in the bill focuses on infrastructure and access facilities, which are catalyst to access of movement of goods and people, which the Western Cape government appreciates that, but uh, they would want us to extend the definition to other 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 types of uh, access seekers, which I would assume, uh, because not, no further clarity was provided, we assumed that, uh, for example, they would want to see accessibility to infrastructure be given to, for example, people are selling foods in the train stations and so forth, which is really not the main focus of the build. The main focus of, of the build, it's operators using infrastructure that is owned in the main by, by government. And going to the next item, you would see the, the areas that have been highlighted yellow. It's mainly to, to flag the, 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 the definitional issues which have been raised for, 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 for either clarification or for further definition as I have presented now. Where the, the, you would see areas highlighted blue, please note that it's comments that have been made specifically to the A-list, which I have indicated earlier that the Western Cape Department of Transport and Public Works is the main institution that has made provided inputs in terms of that. Their first input with regard to that, when you go to the A-list, it's about the terminology that is infrastructure that we need to clarify it. Uh, the, the issue there, it's not so much about the actual definition. It's so much when you look at the A-list, um, which is item number six on the A-list, it says um, 
please indulge. It says on page seven, after line six, uh, after transport to insert and infrastructure. However, they would want us to change that and not say after line 61, but to say in line 61, which is correct, Chair, we would want to appreciate uh, the, the, the comment that has been made and the suggestion. So we will adopt that, that proposal there. And the next comment on the A-list by the uh, Western Cape uh, Department of Transport and Public Works, it's on clause four. Uh, and the, their comment basically says, the inclusion of regulators should follow a process of consultation with such regulators before they are included. Uh, and we agree with the point that uh, regulators would have to be consulted at the time at which the minister will be ready to declare whether or not to include a specific regulator to the single transport economic regulator. Um, however, it's important to state that the current existing regulators have always been part of a steering committee that was in place to develop the bill that we have. Um, however, we would be setting up another forum that would look at issues of uh, finalizing the business case and the implementation plan. And therefore, the opportunity will be used by this forum to also include the, all the regulators that we have currently. Furthermore, before the declaration is made by the minister to include the regulator as empowered by clause four, the respective regulators will be consul consulted, uh, which is basically the grounds of clause 411B provides for such grounds. In the main, the operational and financial personnel and technical capabilities of the transport economic re regulator will be assessed for readiness and viability to house additional or more regulators. Here we're basically saying before the minister makes a declaration or determination, there would have to be a study of some sort to check the capabilities of the regulator to see if they can include these additional regulators. Another comment by the Western Cape uh, Department of Transport and Public Works, uh, it's on clause four. It's basically requesting that it is unclear what other types of regulators are envisaged in clause four. Uh, however, the issue is more of the weight regulator should be inserted after weights any other. If you look at the, the A list, um, it has uh, Roman figure one. Uh, under 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 clause four, eleven one a it has Roman figure one to Roman figure five. So under Roman figure five, they would want us to add the, the weight regulators uh, immediately after any other, which is quite acceptable, and it's something that we will have to do, which we appreciate as well as an input to uh, to, to to shape and form this this bill. Then the next comment really it's about uh, the inconsistency that have been identified by the Western Cape government, where if you look at clause in clause 411B, the drafting of the report is triggered once the minister has determined that the regulators must form part of the regulator. However, clause 411CI states that the report must be published before the minister may consider making determination so the issue here is about which one comes first. So we agree with the comment to say that 411C 
should come first, which would become the new P, 411B, and then 411B would become the new 411C in the A list that is provided uh, in front of us. So it's merely about which one comes first, which, which is what we have to change there, Chair. Thank you. The other comment basically was that uh, the amendment seems to be incorrect. Uh, that's with respect to the correspondence. The correct, correct, the correct reference seems to be subsection 3 and not subsection 5. Does the clause should remain the same? Uh, we don't agree there, Chair, because we think when you look at the, the A-list, how it has captured... Uh, um, uh, uh, subsection three and four, sorry, subsection three and five, you would see that we have captured it correctly because if you look at due to two clauses that have been added in page 26 after line 25, the cross-reference starts with uh, a line five and therefore the numbering is correct. So therefore we don't align ourselves with, with the comment that has been made. We think the Correct referencing is done here, Chairperson. Then in terms of clause 47, which is about amendments set out in paragraph 8, uh, 47.12b3, the amendment seems to be incorrect. It is unclear how a number of council can contravene subsection 13, delete the proposed amendment. Um, section 47.12b of the bill provides clear response to this matter, Chair, we think we don't have to delete the, 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 the proposed amendment as set out in the A list itself. Um, when you look at clause 54, uh, which is amendment set out in paragraph one, which is 54.1a, the weight must uh, should be retained. It is common to have a provision that says the minister may make regulations or any matter which may or must be prescribed under the act. So delete the proposed amendment. Uh, we would want to maintain the may instead of have must chairperson and members uh, because it is not in every case or situation where the minister would have to make re regulations on specific uh, determinations. Uh, hence the wording may would be relevant as advised by people with uh, jurisprudence uh, capabilities. So, so, so we would want to maintain the may instead of must. Um, I think the last comment from the Western Cape Department of Transport and Public Works with respect to the A-list is on Schedule 1, consequential amendments uh, set out in paragraph 23, amendment of section 13.2b of the Airports Act uh, 1993. Uh, it's a small issue, Chair. It's The wording says lines, but basically it should say line. The wording says lines in paragraph 23 of description of the amendment should be changed to, to line. It's basically the removal of the S, which we agree with, with the proposed amendment. Um, as indicated by the presentation of the DDG, most of the comments of PRASA uh, are basically around the key mandate of PRASA, which comes from the Successions Act. Um, and we think it is therefore not the role of the regulator to basically assist PRASA to achieve that mandate uh, because it's outside the scope of the regulator. And also it would be a conflicting, a conflict of interest 
uh, if the regulator interferes in the operations and the strategic capabilities of, of Prasa. So Prasa would have to ensure that it, it manages itself. Uh, the second point they raise is that the bill does not address the issue of investment required to the level to level the playing fields. This is aligned with the policy consideration which recognizes that the rail sector has suffered from severe underinvestment in infrastructure and efficient operations coupled with underutilization of the network and so forth. We, we think that this matter has been addressed under the purpose of the act on page eight, uh, which does make an emphasis and, 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 and promotes investment in infrastructure in every sector of, of transport. It does not uh, 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 discriminate against uh, other, other subsectors of transport. So, so this matter has really been, been addressed by that clause uh, in the bill itself. Uh, then the next observation, uh, which is a comment by, by, by Prasa, is the fact that uh, Section 4, uh, chapter two of chapter two of the bill, which proposes that the application of the bill should be determined by the minister, uh, but there's there's support to, to that section four, which we note the comment. The other comment that has been made is that uh, it is likely to be made applicable to Prasa, which is true. Uh, Prasa would be regulated once the bill is 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 uh, promulgated uh, to to become a legislation that has to be complied with and. The, their views that Prasa will indeed become, uh, will, is currently a single operator in most uh, corridors and therefore has a 70% shareholding. Basically, they are agreeing with the conditions that we have uh, set up in the bill to, to decide which areas are regulated. The next comment of Prasa, it's on the definition of economic regulation. Uh, they give the reflection of the a definition in the bill uh, as is, uh, as you see on the screen there, just to save time. However, what they suggest is that the term entity should be defined to circumscribe the regulated entities. Um, I think the issue, the definition needs to be reworded as follows. Economic regulation means in respect of this act, the regulation of and then delete markets entities, facilities, or services within the transport sector by determining, determining A, the price control, which we maintain what we have currently, and B, access to facilities or services. Um, we do not support that we change the, we, we change the, we delete the, the weight markets and, and then include the, the weight entity. Uh, we do not support that, but we, we accept that the, definition could be then amended as suggested where it says means in respect of this act then the regulation of markets we don't delete markets entities facilities or services within the transport sector by determining so and so forth so basically we maintain the weight markets but we then include a new 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 weights which is in respect of this act so that's really the the issue there um, the next point, it's on section 43, which is uh, which section 4313, uh, page 25, line 46. Um, the issue is that it appears as follows. The president may assign to the regulator any, 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 any duty on the Republic of 
to exchange information with a similar foreign currency in terms of an international agreement relating to the purposes of the act. This is how the act, the clause is reflected in the bill. So the proposal here is that the reference to the president needs to be defined. We need to define the, the, the word president. Uh, we think in, in setting the definition of president as the president of, as we would welcome the, the, the proposal and then we will insert a definition of, of president to mean the Republic of South Africa. So, so we would add that those words so that it reflects exactly which president are we referring here. Um, then the next comment on definition was from Dr. Douglas Blackmore. Um, basically, it's again around interpretation uh, in, in page six, which we, we need to add a, a items on the definition of economic regulation. So they want us to strengthen the, the, the definition of economic regulation. Um, and the suggestion is that the, the definition needs to be extended by adding the following items, which is any other transport matters that may be important consequences for the transport economic development of South Africa and or for the achievement of the equity objective of South African national government. We are noting the proposal, but it is already addressed by clause 31A and clause 32B uh, in the bill itself. So this matter is under the, the purpose of the act and therefore has been addressed. So no need to modify the definition for economic regulation. We will maintain what, what, what we have. Um, so the suggestion here is that we need to add a definition for the ports regulator of South Africa. We really don't think we the bill would have to uh, carry a definition for the ports regulator, given the fact that when the regulator, uh, which is the transport economic regulator, uh, becomes uh, in, in place, uh, therefore the ports regulator of South Africa will, will cease to exist. And therefore, there's no purpose of having such a definition in the bill going forward. Maybe if the ports regulator of South Africa was going to exist, post this uh, exercise, then definition would have been needed. Uh, and therefore, we would want not to include a definition for the ports regulator of South Africa. And the additional point uh, in, is the fact that we need to add the weight authority uh, to replace the regulator. Um, and therefore, item 16C, uh, 7B and 7B of the schedule one in page 37, deals with this matter and therefore there's no need for us to include the, the weight authority there, Chair. Um, the next point is from the Freight uh, Logistics Association, which is in brief FLA. Uh, their comment is on the papers of the Act, Section 31D on page uh, 8. Um, therefore, their comment is that the terms of the bill introduce another level of restriction on private sector commercial transport operations by empowering civil service to apply restrictive uh, regulations where there is no proven need for them. Uh, but we think the bill aims to deal with abuse of the market power and monopoly, which we all know. Uh, it is not intended to stifle the, the economy, nor increase the level of compliance to legislation unnecessarily. So no suggestion is made by, 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 by the writer here, uh, but we think we noted the comment that the bill should not be an added uh, compliance instrument 
to 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 private operators, but it should deal with issues of uh, market power and monopoly, which is really what the bill aims to achieve there. Uh, again, FLA, which is freight logistics, uh, the comment on section three, two A, and B. Uh, the title of the bill is economic regulation, but it includes uh, further social engineering, which is the first comment which is made. Um, this is patent interference and manipulation of competition where there are absolutely no current obstacles to the market. Um, it is difficult to understand the view of, of the writer here. However, what we have confirmed with this comment is the fact that transformation and advancement of workplace black economic empowerment are key pillars of our country and therefore unavoidable. Um, but the view of, of competition in the transport sector, it's indeed one of the principles of the, of the bill to carry forward, uh, which is why um, we, we, we want to deal with uh, entities with, which have attributes of monopoly and mon- mon- monopolistic behavior, in, in which is therefore a market, where there's a market failure, basically, we would want government to, to come in and, and deal with all the market failures so that you avoid uh, uncompetitive uh, industries, which obviously have unintended consequences in terms of savings, in terms of prices and so forth. The next comment of Freight Logistic Association is on section eight. So that's section four on page eight. Uh, the issue is that the bill fails to define which sectors are to be regulated, why they should be regulated, and how the regulators of each mode will function. As it stands, it can apply economic regulation to anything from donkey cars and taxis uh, to bulk railway operations, which indeed, this is not correct, because section four, it is very clear uh, that the bill on its promulgation will continue to regulate uh, entities which are regulated. And the minister will then declare which entity should be regulated going forward. Uh, It is not correct that it's a blanket approach. uh, And therefore, we would not align ourselves with the comment that has been made here. Um, The second comment that was made uh, by Freight Logistics uh, Association it's that the bill gives sweeping powers and authority to the transport ministry, which has a deplorable 30-year history of creating impractical and if ineffective commercial transport regulations. It fails to provide adequate description of any identified need for such actions. Um, therefore, our suggestion from our side on the basis of section uh, 4.2, we don't see a need for changes to this section because the, the, the intention is clear that uh, the powers that are given to the minister, it's only to declare whether a market is a monopoly and therefore has to be regulated uh, somewhat. Uh, and also the role of the minister is to ensure that at the time at which it is right and the regulator has sufficient capacity and capabilities to include more regulators uh, in, in that institution. That's really the powers that are given to the minister with regard to section four, which is the scope of, 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 of the bill. We, we normally do get such comments on this section. So I think it's, it's, it should be noted by the portfolio committee that section four, it's one of the critical uh, clauses which gets to receive a lot of comments and therefore we need to add any given point in time, be able to clarify 
uh, whenever there are issues raised here. Uh, the next comment, which was from the Ports Regulator of South Africa, and on the A list, which is clause 2.5, uh, the suggestion is that we need to insert the weight processing. Uh, basically, in, in section 2.5, we need the, the section, section 2.5 should read the access protection processing, which is adding the weight there, and dissemination of information, including personal and confidential information. We accept the and, and, and agree to the proposal. So we will amend, we will suggest the portfolio committee to amend it as such. Clause four, again, uh, or, which is suggested on the A list, hence it, it is highlighted blue there, is that the port regulator notes the proposed amendments as they relate in, to incorporate uh, incorporation of other regulators into the regulator. However, when the amendment is read together with schedule two, on that transitional arrangement, it is clear that the port regulator of South Africa ceases to exist and becomes a regulator, which we currently agree with the assertion, chairperson. However, their view is that there are no transitional arrangement that addresses the fundamental change in the nature of the regulator and the decision-making on price regulation. This is not correct, Chair. In terms of the fundamental changes to the nature of the regulator, the new law will be applicable, which is the bill, uh, with respect to structure inclusive of the CEO and the executive officers, meaning that the structure of the ports regulator, as has always been indicated, will, will be a nucleus to, to set up the new regulator. And therefore, the, the, the structure of the ports regulator will then be aligned to what is proposed in the bill so that uh, whatever uh, positions and, and, and posts allocated to the existing staff of the regulator, of the post regulator will then be aligned to, to the new structure. But as I've indicated earlier on, there is a forum that is being set up uh, to look at issues of the business case, the implementation plan and all that stuff. Some of these matters will then be discussed at, at that level. Currently, the bill caters for continuation of the decision making of tariffs, which you would know, uh, we're talking about price controls today. Uh, we're saying what is currently working will then be transferred as is to, to the regulator. And then as time goes on, the, the, the stakeholders of the specific sector will then engage to uh, develop, uh, the new, or develop and design the new, 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 new mechanisms of, of tariff determination and so forth. Um, um, the next comment from the port regulator it's really on the establishment of the transport economic regulator which is there on clause 29 so they confirm that the body established the transport economic regulator as a constitutional body i think that's the assertion that is made by the comment that the transport economic regulator envisaged here it's being established as a constitutional body and not as schedule 3a we would want to emphasize that section two, section 29, 2B reads as follows. The regulator is an independent and subject only to the constitution and the law. So this comment does not give a session that the transport economic regulator will be established as a constitutional body. We also assert to the fact that the regulator will be established as a section, as Schedule 3A entity, not as a constitutional body. So I think the bill itself does not give powers for this regulator to be established as a 
constitutional body, but a Schedule 3A NTTS per the uh, Public Finance Management Act. Um, their comment continues to say Section 29 also makes provision for two levels of regulator decisions. Um, therefore, governance decisions made by the board and regulatory decisions made by the executive regulatory panel. Um, yes, it is correct that the roles and responsibilities of the board is only on governance, which is the accounting authority. And that of the CEO is administering the, the regulator, which is the accounting office and so forth. And the role of the executive panel, which is the CEO and then the, the executive officers, will indeed to make decisions on economic regulation matters, particularly on tariff or price control matters. And the next comment is on section 10, that is to make provision for cessation, transfer, or assignment of access rights to be reported to the regulator. Uh, we think this matter has been addressed uh, in section 72 on, 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 on page, page, on section 10. So on page 10, it should be page 10 there. The next comment of the regulator, which Chair, I think from the presentation of the DDG, now that I'm remembering this matter now, and this presentation, whenever we issue bills uh, for, for comments, it would probably make sense that a template is produced uh, in which uh, stakeholders or affected parties would use to comment so, so that it makes it easier for, 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 for the writers of the bills to be able to acknowledge the, the comments and capture them quite, quite correctly. Uh, moving over, the next comment was made by SASOA, which is the South African Association of Ship Operators Agents, which is SASOA. It is not clear to us what Section 4, which I've highlighted uh, earlier on, that this is a section that gets a lot of comments. Uh, they say Section 4.1 is meant to achieve. They are not clear about it. Is this meant to achieve automatic application to, or for example, the National Ports Authority? In that case, the legislation does not authorize the minister to regulate at all, but refers to the ports, regulate, ports regulator, which is unsolvable to the minister, which we agree. Where we don't, I think there's different of understanding. Section 4.1 ensures that current regulated entities continue to be regulated at an inception of this bill when it is promulgated which therefore includes the National Ports Authority, which will be regulated under this bill. And Section 4.2 applies when new markets or entities or facilities are of monopoly nature, then the minister will make an appropriate determination as earlier alluded to there. In view of the above, in view of the above, there is nothing wrong to be concerned about here, which is the intention is very clear and, and very uh, pragmatic to deal with uh, the challenges uh, that emanate and that led to, to that section four to be, to be introduced. The next comment from Sasua, uh, it is also our view that the bill should apply to the South African Maritime uh, Safety Authority. Our view that uh, SAMSA, the South African Maritime Safety Authority is a safety regulator and does, there's no need to regulate a regulator. A regulator cannot regulate another regulator. So that would be a problem with separation of, of, of responsibilities and roles, roles there. Uh, the next comment of Sasoa is that, as previously indicated, we wholly support the application of the bill to other divisions of transit, 
which we, we intended to do, it has become abundantly ab- apparent to us that as the regulator established under the National Ports Act, number 12 of 2005, restrains the charges of the National Ports Authority. It's, it's other divisions that are not similarly restrained simply increase their charges in order to make up their shortfall. Here, it's an issue of cross-subsidization that transnet applies uh, from one sector to the other or from one entity to the other. For example, from the National Post Authority to to Transnet Freight Rail. And we're noting the the comment, uh, which this is exactly one of the problems that the bill aims to deal with, uh, but we think the corporatization of uh, National Ports Authority as well helps to alleviate the problems that emanates with having this institution under, under transnet in totality. The next comment from uh, uh, Sasoa uh, is that we do not support the ability of the minister in consultation with the regulator in terms of section 4.2 or not to declare private entities to be subject to the act. Really, their comment is basically to say the bill sh- should be subject to public sector entities only, uh, which we don't really agree. Uh, for example, there's arguments now that the Richards Bay coal terminal uh, could be a terminal that is of monopoly, which is owned by private sector. And there are many reasons enough. Uh, which are driving towards the fact that they should be considered for, for, for regulation, which is another step that will unfold immediately when the bill gets promulgated. Um, the, another comment from Prasa was on section five, page nine. Uh, here it's that uh, in section one, page six, lines 53 to 54, the term facility is defined to include the weight infrastructure, yet in section five and other parts of the bill, the weight infrastructure is utilized uh, di- distinctively from the term facility. Um, we think defini- the definition for facilities provided does the two weights can be used inter- interchangeably. I think the issue of the of PRASA here was that whenever we use the weight infrastructure, we must include the weight uh, facility, uh, which from, from our side, we don't see that as a major concern because those two weights can be used inter- interchangeably and a definition for facility has been provided in the bill itself. Uh, the next comment is on section that relates to the type, type of access uh, request and access fees. Um, the section 61C, page 10, line 5 to 8, uh, they captured it as is, uh, which is the request to make investment in order to increase the capacity of infrastructure that has been determined in terms of section 4 where the owner of the set infrastructure has declined to make the requested investment and so forth. It is unclear how this section is a regulated activity. Even if it is intended to be, it seems that the request can only apply where it is a matter of public policy, e.g. if the firm concerned abuse its market power and so forth. Uh, that's the comment is about uh, saying that um, the issues of public po- policy should be made a requirement uh, whenever the sector or market or facility are, are determined by the minister for inclusion in, in, in the bill itself. We, we, we agree with the view uh, because recently we all know that uh, uh, the president has declared uh, through the state of the nation address that 
there will be third party access to transnet infrastructure. And therefore we assert ourselves to the view that uh, the infrastructure owner indeed would have to give access to, to the operators. Um, there's a suggestion of uh, additional wedding. So the, 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 the suggestion is that we need to add request to make investment in order to increase the capacity of infrastructure that has been determined in terms of section four, where the owner of the set infrastructure has declined to make the processed, the requested investment to the requested uh, specification. So these are the suggested uh, conditions uh, after this, this wedding. So there is no need to include these conditions as they may be embedded in the regulations and or contractual agreement. So it is not the intention of the bill to cover every uh, nuance that is covered by different sectors of the transport sector. And therefore we don't recommend, we don't rec recommend that the portfolio committee should include these conditions in the bill because different sectors may have different conditions which are not similar to those of the rail sector. The next comment, which is a different institution now, which is the African Rail Industrial Association, which is ARIA. Their comment is on section uh, seven, which is about the contents of access agreements and notification to the regulator. A blanket disregard of terms of access conditions may not require dispute re resolution, but an immediate dissolution of the agreement. Um, so here the issue is that if there's uh, uh, disagreements uh, or non-implementation uh, uh, of access agreement conditions, the contract should, should be terminated instead of uh, entering into some sort of dispute resolution and usage of the council, which would be a dis dispute resolution me uh, mechanism that is put in place here. We, the comment and the proposal is noted, uh, but it is not realistic because the infrastructure is very expensive and operators stroke access seekers are dependent on transnet infrastructure. And therefore to have a, a, an elimination or, or dissolution of an agreement on the basis of non-compliance to access agreements conditions would, would be suicidal to, 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 to the economy of the country because it therefore means transnet may not be able to provide that specific infrastructure to that customer and so forth. So we would want to maintain that the, the section eight on page 10 of the bill is does appropriate in this instance and therefore would deal with issues of dispute resolution there. The next comment is basically on section eight one um, and it's about request for and consideration of access approval. Um, by the regulator. So the issue is that we do not feel the balance of power has shifted sufficiently with this bill. The infrastructure owner, which is TFR, can still frustrate access to the network via Section 8. TFR should become a train operator like other uh, operators and in an appropriate period of time, a new entity created to control the maintenance of the network. I think here an argument is pushed forward on separating an uh, TFR from being an operator and infrastructure owner. And the suggestion basically is to set up a rail uh, infrastructure agency, which therefore leave the roles and responsibilities of TFR as an operator and compete like any other, like any other operator, which I think from our side, this is a matter not, that cannot be resolved 
through this intervention of this bill. It's a rail policy matter, which we think the rail policy will make a pronouncement on it, as it was earlier discussed in the net map that has been developed uh, by the Department of Transport. Uh, for traction, as it was indicated, there were two comments made uh, by traction. One of them was in Section 8, which was, which was also about the request for and consideration of access uh, to approval by the regulator. So the comment goes as follows. We do not feel the balance of power has shifted, which is more or less similar to the previous one. Uh, sorry, let me see. No, it's a, it's a similar comment that has been made in the previous uh, 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 by ARIA. So seemingly when we assess the comments of ARIA and those of tractions, they somehow similar. Uh, uh, somehow they may have probably sit in a restaurant and, and compile these comments together. So, but the response is the same because it's on six, section eight. The next comment is on by area, which is on section 10 on page 11. Um, the, the comment says the entity must first notify the infrastructure owner and the regulator of its intention to cede or transfer the rights. So this is what they would want us to add. It should also be added that the third parties shall not cede or transfer or cede rights to any operator. We agree with the comment. The new section 10 should be as follows for the portfolio committee to, to, to consider an entity that has been granted access approval in terms of section 9.1 or 9.2 may cede or transfer any or all of its access rights to the third party on condition that A, the entity must first notify the infrastructure owner and the, the regulator and B, ensure all its obligations remain fulfilled, and C, third parties shall not cede or transfer or cede rights to any other operator. So the, 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 the accessor to, or the, the, the infrastructure access seeker may cede rights once. Uh, so the comment says you must not allow the, the access seeker to, to, to cede rights to a multiple parties going forward. So this, the, the, the rights should be seated only once, which is what is being insinuated here. And the next comment of ARIA, it's about section 36.3 and section 36.5. Um, the section three basically says the chief executive officer holds office of a term of four years, which is the current proposal of the bill. And then each executive uh, officer holds office of a term of five years subject to subsection six. The question which is being raised here, why not four years like the chief executive officer? It's a question, they're questioning the, the five years vis-a-vis uh, -vis the four years. We do not uh, see a need to make any changes as discovers a staggering appointment to avoid risk of all executive uh, officers leaving at the same, same time. So it is appropriate that we leave uh, four years for the chief executive officer, then five years for the executive officers, so that you, the risk of uh, losing all executive officers uh, is, is avoided uh, go, going for, forward. And Prasa on section 10, page 11, line 20, um, an entity has been granted access approval in terms of section nine or nine one or two, may cede, which is a seeding issue there again. The concessionary should be 
about to meet the requirements of access. Therefore, we suggest that the following wording underlined below um, should, should, should be uh, uh, inserted. Um, we think the new section 10 that has been alluded earlier in the previous slide is correct. And therefore we don't need basically these additional weddings to include in, in section 10, but the re change or reshaped uh, section 10 is, is, is suggested for consideration by the, by the portfolio committee. Now the regulating committee, which is regulating ATNS and, and AXA, their, their, their comment is on section 11.3, uh, where they're proposing the wet uh, proposal to be replaced by both approved business plan. Um, we would want to keep this weight proposal in all listed clauses as this follows from a strongly related to the main clause section 11.1 and section 11.2 on page 11. So we'd want to maintain the wedding proposal. Uh, in addition, uh, you do not want to only prescribe uh, only the board approved business plan to be re to to the regulated entities. Here, the point that is made here is that we should uh, ensure that only board approved business plans are submitted to the regulator whenever a tariff determination is made by the regulator. We wouldn't want to restrict the regulated entities to this level, but uh, we think uh, the emphasis of the types of information required is captured by section 14.1, 14.2, and 14.4. So we think we are well covered there in terms of the information that will be required at the time at which uh, a tariff determination would be made. And the next comment, um, it's basically seeking clarity uh, on the fact that um, an existing subsidy changes materially, which is a clause, which is embedded in section 11.7 on page 12. Here, the argument is that which uh, entities are we referring to that are subsidized and therefore this clause suffice. The comment comes from the aviation sector, which we understand that AXA and ATNS are currently not subsidized and possibly don't know that uh, PRASA is subsidized and therefore the clause covers for, 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 for subsidization of PRASA and any other entity that would be regulated under this bill, so that whenever there are material changes to subsidization and that matter is factored into, into the bill, and therefore we don't need to change any, anything about, about that clause. Uh, chapter 3, clause, nine, clause 11.9a, which says, when determining a price control, the regulator may impose conditions that A, provide for an annual adjustment to reflect changes in the relevant uh, price index, uh, which is, this is the next uh, topic which gets to receive uh, the comments. Um, and the argument here is that the clause appears to be incomplete. The regulating committee applies an CPIX uh, approach, X being an efficiency factor, but the current clause seems to only allow for an efficient inflation adjustment, suggest, they suggest the following provide an annual adjustment to reflect the changes in the relevant price index, as well as uh, efficiency factor requirements. We think clause 9, 11.9a, uh, which when you read towards the end, uh, it has the, these weightings, uh, relevant price index. Uh, we don't wanna 
stipulate upfront as to which model or which inflation tool should be applied by different uh, subset of transport. Hence, the wedding relevant price index. So we don't have to say upfront whether we apply the CPIX, which in the main is applied by Sandral in their con- concession agreements. Uh, but uh, the road sector is totally different to the aviation sector and this will be different to the port sector. So there will be different uh, uh, tools or module, models that can be applied to cater for, for, for escalations uh, going forward. Um, so no change is required today. And clause 11.9b, uh, comments made by ASA, Ayata, BASA, and so forth, uh, the regulator should be empowered to adjust prices if those standards are not met. Uh, we agree uh, and welcome the suggestion. And therefore, they propose that uh, uh, the, the, the wording be changed there to, to indicate that set services standards and a price debate so the price rebate mechanism, if they are not met, which we welcome the proposal and should be considered by the portfolio committee going forward. Um, chapter three, Asa Ayata Basa, uh, the suggestion is to delete clauses 1190C, 1110, and 1111. Uh, we do not agree with the proposal. These clauses are quite fundamental uh, or quite important elements of the price control and price determination. And therefore, we don't propose the portfolio committee to consider deleting these uh, uh, clauses because they give uh, expression as to how price control and price determination gets 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 uh, undertaken. Um, and then the, the next comment is from the regulating committee on section 1110, uh, which is on page 12. Um, basically, the suggestion is that uh, include subsection D, which the suggestion is that entities to submit both approved business case and financial analysis to substantiate affordability by the users. Uh, like I've indicated in the earlier comment, we don't want to restrict the information that should be submitted to the regulator uh, when a price determination is, is applied. And we confirming that clauses level 10, uh, A, B, C um, are relevant and are quite clear what kind of information is needed uh, for a price deviation or a price control to be be determined. And the next comment from the regulating committee on price regulation, again, it's section 1111. And the issue here, it's about um, the the clause gives uh, the regulator 60 days, 60 business days to review the impact of the proposed price deviation and determine whether or not to approve it. So this is the function that is uh, given to the regulator and therefore 60 days uh, is is allowed for the regulator to consider the matter that would have been submitted uh, by by, by the regulated entities. um, And uh, in 15 days, the regulator would have uh, acknowledged receipt of the price deviation uh, request and Thereafter, the regulator will have 60 business days to look at the matter. The proposal from the uh, regulating committee is that we need to increase the 60 business days to 90 business days so that we cater for uh, constructive engagements and and consultation. Um, We think we don't have to change uh, the number of days, number number of business days 
for the for the regulator to consider the price deviation request um because on its determination or after making a decision on the price deviation then the regulator will then enter into discussions and consult the relevant parties and therefore we don't want to change and give uh, much more latitude and number of business days to the regulator to basically consider a matter that relates to price deviation uh, chairperson the next comment of the regulating committee is on section 11 uh, 13 which is at the top of page 13 uh, basically the idea is that we need to incorporate th- these weddings transparent consultation process that value users inputs to, works towards consensus and results in informed decision making uh, Chairperson and honorable members, the consultation process is provided for under clause 11.4 on page 11. Um, therefore, we don't want to suggest that these weights should, should be added, Chairperson, under clause 11.13. And the next comment comes from Asa Ayata uh, on chapter 3, clause 12.2. 12, which is about the regulators may conduct an extraordinary review in terms of subsection one. There needs to be a possibility for an airline association to request for an extraordinary review and suggest the following amendments to be made on clause 12.2, uh, Roman figure three, another person or association of persons. Uh, no need for this inclusion or association of persons because clause 12.2b or 12.2a Roman figure three is, is addressing everyone and therefore we don't have to include uh, the wedding association. It says another person. So and therefore the association is, is, is captured by, by that wedding chairperson. The next comment by the regulating committee on section 14 on page uh, 13. Um, basically it's the regulating accounting and disclosure requirements uh, at the section, at the entire section 12 of the airports Company Act number 14 of 1998 as amended. Uh, the proposal, I think the view is that thinking that the bill is only about aviation, which, which we, we caution the sector that the bill is about the entire um, uh, transport sector. And therefore we don't have to um, superimpose um, what's in the different uh, primary legislation to the bill itself, because we, trying to cover each and every subsector of transport. Uh, regulating committee comment on Schedule 1 consequential amendments. Subsection F should be deleted only. The entire Section 12 must be reinstated because it deals with economic regulation. It's the same point that was made in the previous uh, uh, comment chair. This section is for consequential amendments. We agree so that we do not superimpose information from primary legislation of respective uh, subsectors of transport to the bill because the bill it's about the whole transport sector in totality. The next comment of uh, Ayata, uh, Basa and Asa, it's on clause uh, 15.1 uh, where it says any person may file a complaint with the regulator. Um, their proposal, like it has been alluded to in the previous uh, comment that we need to add all association or of persons. We don't think we need to add these these words because any person uh, applies to even associations that they may want to 
file a complaint uh, with the regulator and all that stuff, Chairperson. So it is covered by by, by clause uh, 15.1. Um, process comment on section um, 16. Uh, the suggestion is that section 16 should be deleted and consequentially section 48.1a at page 27 line, line, line 21 the proposal is, is not supported. We're not supporting the proposal because clauses are straightforward. There is hearing of direct referrals as appeals does not weaken the structure of the dispute uh, resolution chair. Um, the next comment specifically from Freight Logistics uh, Association on section 21, um, which is on the clause that says the regulator may direct a reduction in the current applicable price control for any facilities or services provided by the regulated entity. The bill totally ignores the fact that the freight transport sector is the key element of industrial supply chains and that all and any decisions affected the sector have immediate economic impacts of the logistics of the industry's concern. Regulation is by definition a form of restriction. uh, we think a directed price control reduction is a form of a penalty which can be levied on a firm which has contravened the bill. So the price reduction, it's, it's a way of ensuring that the bill's clauses uh, are, are implemented by, by entities that will be regulated. It will only be levied after due process has been observed for a finite period. In principle, it is equivalent to a fine but with the advantage that the money is distributed to customers and thus restitution is made during the price reduction period to person. Um, so it will apply to the regulated entity, entities that contravene the act, so not to any other person. So this is like a, a carrot on stick approach that is being brought about by this bill. So where the, the entities are doing quite well, there's an incentive where they are not doing quite well then there's a, there's a stick to, to punish and ensure that uh, the clauses of the bill are being met. The next comment is on Freight Logistic uh, Association. It's on Chapter 3, Section 11. And Recording to, to in progress. The bill comes, comes in place. So the bill emphasizes that the regulation will apply across the board, whether it's a government entity or a private uh, uh, sector or private or privately owned entities. So, chair, so we're not focusing only on entities which are uh, owned by government. And Freight Logistic Association in rewriting the bill. So the, the argument on this point is a general observation to say the bill needs to be rewritten and the bill needs to be rewritten modally. So meaning that there should be a regulation for the port sector, regulation for the rail sector and regulation for the other sectors like your aviation and roads. 
chairperson. We note the comment because it was in, initially when we started the project, we looked at the, that this model of having a chapter for each mode, it was then realized that um, the bill will be quite voluminous and the bill might be unimplementable. So, and therefore we must try and have a legislation that is not huge, but would be able to cover the whole transport sector chair. And therefore the points which are raised for different uh, uh, sectors, like in the port sector, that the ports regulator is the one that does regulations. The current status, it's not a new thing that they're proposing. We, we, we appreciate the fact that they are proposing that, that there should be a railway economic regulator. We think chapter two of the bill basically addresses uh, this, this vacuum. And therefore the proposal for a rail infrastructure agency as it was set earlier on, it's, it's a matter that needs not to be entertained by, 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 by this project. It's a scope that is outside this, this project, Chairperson. Uh, and then these sectoral comments, most of them, we are noting them, and most of them are reflecting on the current status. But I think the most important one that should be uh, mentioned here is about pop, pipeline transport, which is uh, regulated by NASA. And we also noting the, the, the comment that uh, there should be consideration by, by by, by this bill, but we think NASA is an appropriate institution to deal with this matter. And it's a policy matter that does not have to be resolved by, by this bill, Chairperson. Uh, clause 22 two, um, by ASA, basically they would want us to add the weight any person. Um, so, sorry, it's about, as previously mentioned, there is a need for association to be able to appeal, which we, we agree. There, there is a need. If they want to appeal, they can appeal, and they are covered by the wedding any person, and therefore we don't have to enrich that clause with adding the word association chairperson. So we think any person covers everyone there. Section twenty-eight, uh, one. Our comment is that um, twenty days is realistically too short a time to deal with an appeal regarding a charge decision by the regulator. Just modifying this to three months. Um, uh, I think here is just a misunderstanding on the interpretation. The 20 business days is for only publishing the, the decision and for the whole hearing appeal. That is, this is for the decision at the end of the hearing. It's not the, the whole process should take 20 days. It's only the decision that needs to be published uh, on 20 business days, chairperson there. Um, Clause uh, 28.3 by ASA, Ayata, and VASA. It's basically to replace the term general reasonableness with appropriateness. The words general reasonableness are sufficient for the bill, and therefore we don't think we need to uh, uh, change it to appropriateness, uh, chairperson there. Um, the next comment from PRASA on section 34. Five, uh, page 21, lines 50 to 51. Uh, the suggestion is that clauses must be un amended uh, where you change the board to be the minister on the regulation of the board may establish other executive committees and all that stuff. We do not agree with the suggestion because the minister will be interfering with the work of the regulator and you don't want that given the fact that we're establishing an independent uh, regulator chairperson. So therefore we don't... Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, we, we don't uh, uh, align ourselves with the proposal, Chairperson. Another comment from Prasa 
on section 35.1b. Um, the suggestion is inclusive. We need to delete the word inclusive. Um, it is important to isolate the exact additional functions of the CEO. I think here it's a question of deleting some functions that are, are allocated to the CEO. But in terms of this bill, we think this is appropriate and relevant. And we need to be clear which functions are those of the responsibility of the CEO. And also noting the fact that the executive officers um, are not part of the board and therefore would have be subjected to different uh, uh, roles and responsibilities that she said. So no need to change this item. Plus again, section 36, page 22, lines 22, 26. Um, Therefore, section 26 should be augmented with minimum qualifications and experience for the chief executive officer and executive officers. Uh, we think this matter has been addressed by section 36.1, which is very clear and no need for modification chairperson. So the issues of qualifications and experience have been addressed by the bill itself. Uh, Ayata, uh, Basa, and Asa on clause 38, uh, elements that were included in the airports company and not included in this law. In this regard, suggest the following additions to clause 38, promote a reasonable interest and need, needs of users, restrain the regulated company, com com companies from abusing their monopoly power. We, we, we note the comments. Uh, in general, the objective of economic regulation is indeed to protect the public interest which includes users. Therefore, the bill aims to deal with abuse of power and monopoly. So adopt as proposed. Yes, we need to adopt as proposed. We, we support that view, Chairperson. Um, however, we think there's no need to insert it uh, as H, a, a part of uh, clause 38, because it is covered by clause 39.1b. Chairperson. So this matter is indeed covered. So we don't have to include it here, Chairperson. Then the next comment is on section 38. Again, page 23, line 125 of, of by Prasa. In line with the principle that the regulator should regulate within the prescripts of law, the factors that determine the feasibility of the underlying section where possible connotes an exercise of a discretion. We therefore suggest that the factors uh, the factors uh, should be defined in the regulation and what factors that the regulator should take into account in arriving to a conclusion. So, 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 so Chairperson, we think we noted the comments, but the proposed additions are not necessary. As section 54 talks to the minister making regulations in a prescribed manner and form, and therefore we think this matter is covered quite, quite clearly there, Chairperson. The next point is on research and public information, clause 42.2. Um, Ayata, Asa, Basa, their comments suggested that clause, any request for research made to the regulator must be considered on merits of its reasonableness and benefits to the industry, after which funding arrangements will be made by the regulator and other interested parties. We will support uh, 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 the, the suggestion, Chairperson, and therefore, uh, suggestion is supported and clause 42.1 is actually dealing with this matter, Chairperson. And the next point is on price control by the same institutions or associations in the aviation industri industry. Uh, the, the proposal 
is that each regulated entity must submit a proposal to the regulator and to the user. I think this is borrowing from the earlier presentation where they were suggest, suggesting that we change the weight access to user. Uh, but we think clause 114A does indicate that the regulated entities must submit a proposal to the regulator and interested parties. We don't have to be specific in terms of the user or so, so forth. And therefore, no need to insert uh, these weights in, in, in this sentence, Chairperson. The next uh, area of comment, section 47 by Prasa, uh, it's on the council fulfills a critical function that requires totally skilled and experienced person to be appointed, which we agree it is desirable that the appointment is transparent and hence the minimum qualifications and experience should be indicated. Uh, this matter, Chairperson, is similar to the one raised, raised earlier on about the CEO's experience and qualification required. Uh, it is addressed under section 47.3, uh, which is very clear and therefore no need for, for modification there, Chair. Uh, section 15, um, which deals with funding for the regulators and the council, we are concerned that the cost of running the two ent new entities could run away and create an inefficient bureaucracy funded by the operators. The regulator and the council should be fully funded and controlled by, by, by parliament. Um, from where we sit, with which we have been presenting uh, to the committees, that funding from the fiscals is unavoidable. Uh, in the short term, though, but in the medium to long term, the institution should be self-funding. The principles of how fees are charged to regulated entities will be set as follows. Uh, there will be concurrency of the Minister of Finance uh, with, with the Minister of Transport to set these, these, these fees. The overall amount of money collected will be in line with the needs of, this, of the regulator and the council and the actual cost of regulation. So, in regulated entities will be benefiting from decisions that would be, would be made by, by, by the regulator and therefore they need to, to contribute to the running of these institutions. Uh, so checks and balances to ensure that the regulator is as efficient as possible in completing the regulatory task and regulation is only undertaken, undertaken chair. So independence, Financing is critical for regulatory independence, uh, which we well aware that uh, at the time at which the regulator is self-funding, uh, this 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 principle of independence will be applicable uh, at that given mom moment. Yeah? Uh, funding of the regulator and the council again, but a comment now is made by by Prasa. Uh, the suggestion in that section. 50 be amended uh, as, as, as shown in the screen there with just saving time. Uh, the suggestions basically of adding these points are not supported. Uh, that is excluding weights as determined by the minister. We are allowing self-regulation to take place by the regulator. If we do so, we are allowing self-regulation, which is not what we intending to do here. At the most, regulated entities will not pay fees to fund the regulator and the council, which is contradicting to, to what I have mentioned earlier on. The next comment is on the establishment of the Transport uh, Economic Council on section 46. Uh, the comment is that please insert the purpose of the council to, the, to provide context to its functions in section 48. We think section 46 and 48 explains the purpose and role of the council, so no need to add more wording there, Chairperson. 
just one comment was was made on the A list by by area. Uh, basically, it's around compiling a short list uh, of at least nine uh, candidates. Um, so setting a minimum of the short list is restrictive, which is their comment. What if the nomination is for replacement of one member who has resigned or been removed? Um, so within clause 473A and D of the A list addresses this matter. This is also covered by the clause 473D of the A list chapter. So this matter as well is covered today. Um, area again, section 47A. Um, their comment is that it is not clear how three-year term or four-year term uh, uh, members determined. Uh, section 47.8 is very clear in terms of first appointments and or any time there is a complete simultaneous turnover in the membership of the council, does the terms of the council members must be varied. It's a similar uh, point that was raised on the regulator about uh, the four-year term of the CEO vis-a-vis the five-year stance of the executive uh, officers. Here, a staggering approach is also adopted here for the council itself, the chairperson. So whenever the portfolio committee is making appointments of council members, they would then have to factor this, this matter to avoid the risk of uh, turnover that might happen at the, at the very same time. The next comment of ARIA on section 49.2 basically is that um, under clause section 49.2, without limiting the generality of subsection 1, an employee, stroke investigator, um, or inspector retain, retained by the regulator before participating in any investigation, significant relationship must be defined under definitions. In general terms, it refers to a spectrum of close emotional connection. The definition of significant relationship is addressed by section 49.3. So we do have a definition there in, in section 49.3. It is not under the definition list because it's captured by this clause here, Jefferson. Area again, section 50, we are concerned that the cost of running the two entities could, could run away. It's a similar comment and a similar response to this matter that was raised earlier on. Hence, I was saying there's the comment somehow indicates there may have been collusion or discussion by area and traction before submitting the, the comments to, to the portfolio committee. The next comment is on section 58.3, page 32, line 5. The inspector must always be accompanied by a police officer. We suggest section 58.3 be amended as follows. Um, uh, basically, an inspector authorized to conduct an entry and search in terms of uh, section 53 must be accompanied and um, assisted by, by, by a police officer. We totally don't agree. We don't think there are changes needed to, to, to say must, uh, given the fact that a, a, a matter will be dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis where there's a need for police officers to accompany the inspectors the, 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 the regulator will, will, will apply for such where there's no need for, 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 for police officers to accompany the, the inspectors. Indeed, they would not uh, apply this, this law. So the must basically indicates at every given moment, an inspector must be accompanied by, by, by police officers, which we think it will increase the capacity constraints of the 
police officers that we currently have. So we don't want to do that with this building capacity. And that's really the point there that is being addressed today. Then on offenses relating to the regulator and the council, section 64, a person commits an offense who does anything calculated to improperly influence the regulator concerning any matter connected with an investigation, delete the weight calculated. It may be problematic since a person may still do something uncalculated to improperly influence the regulator. This is a transaction, a transgression to the act out of intention of calculatedness is immediate material. So the department is amenable to, to the suggestion, Chairperson. We think the committee should, should consider uh, changing, uh, deleting the word calculated. Um, another comment of ARIA on the A-list, basically, it's about line 10 on page 39 of the bill. The point is not important. Uh, the comment is not clear, Chair. It, it was just flagged as such, and therefore we're not quite sure what was intended by, by the commenter there or the writer of ARIA comments, Chairperson. Uh, Western Cape Government, uh, Schedule 1, Consequential Amendment. Um, a lot of comments, some of the comments of the Western Cape Department are basically on NLTA, which are helping to enrich uh, Schedule 1, uh, which is the consequential amendments. Um, it is recommended that Section 28 of the NLTA be amended by insertion of the weights and any price controls determined by the regulator after the weight subject to the Municipal Fiscal Powers and Functions Act 2007 and blah, blah, blah. Support that Section 28 of the NLTA be amended uh, and stated under Schedule 1, under consequential amendment, Chairperson, we support that. Um, uh, Schedule 1, again, consequential amendment to Western Cape Government. Section 38 of the NLTA is also impacted upon by the bill as it will also be subjected subject to the, de de to the determination of the regulator. Uh, municipal freight transport policy and strategy should be mindful of the regulator's determination. The comment is noted and supported chairperson there. And the next point that has been suggested there is that Section 40, 41, 1C of the NLTA negotiated contract will also be impacted upon. Contracting authorities are empowered to enter into negotiated contracts, one of the purposes of which is facilitating the restructuring of a parastatal or municipality transport operator to discourage monopolies. We agree, Chairperson, and we, we note the, the comment, Chairperson, uh, that on that one. And the next one, it's uh, the bill will be impacted on chapter six of the NLTA, which relates to regulation of road-based public transport. Uh, yes, we agree with this comment, given the fact that the National Public Transport Regulator will at some point be consolidated into the regulator itself. And the next comment under Schedule 1 by Transnet uh, is that uh, Transnet basically is proposing that the 20 days uh, be increased to 30 days which I think the department is amenable to that, he agrees with that point. But we, we have noted the comment by the by the Ports Regulator of South Africa that they are happy to leave it at 20, at 20 business days. But I think we need to strike a balance between the uh, Ports Regulator's comment and the Transnet's uh, comment. But I think 30 days from our side, we are comfortable to, 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 to capture as, as suggested here, Chairperson, for your consideration. And points which are made under 
1.3, uh, it's basically transnet indicating that they are happy with, with these, these clauses. And we, 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 we note the comments of uh, section 1.2 and, and section 1.2 chairperson. Um, another comment, uh, maybe I must indicate here, chairperson, that uh, transnet comments were quite positive and in the main were under the consequential amendment, chairperson. So, uh, schedule one on page 37, the proposal, they, they indicated that the proposal does not provide clarity as to whether the authority is still required to submit to the tariff book to the regulator or not. Currently, the tariff book is submitted to the regulator for approval and sign off approval by stamping in a separate process. Translate requires clarity as to whether price control includes the list of services and charges to customers which will be approved by the regulator. The first comment, Chairperson, like we've indicated that the transitional mechanism is that uh, current economic regulatory capacities and, 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 and functions would, 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 would move over to the regulator as they are and, and be operational as currently are, are now, Chairperson. Uh, changes will only be made when discussions are, are made. But this matter is addressed in Schedule 2 uh, under the transitional provisions. Specifically, it is items 2, 1, 2, 2, and 2, 3 of Schedule 2, wherein migration will happen on current arrangement or practices. For example, item 2, 3B on licensing, Chairperson. We also agree, in, uh, want to emphasize that the indeed, the, the price control will then include a list of services and charges that will be determined at a time at which it is appropriate to do that. The next comment of Transnet, uh, it's again on, on page 37, is that um, a proposal to amend clause section 72 of the National Ports Act by substituting subsection 4, which enables the authority to enter into agreement with licensed operators and port users based on variation of tariffs as contemplated. Um, uh, clearly, uh, on these matters, uh, all these matters are stipulated in section 7 on page 10. This section talks about contents of access agreements and notification to the regulator. In principle, the regulator will, be, will get involved when there is a disagreement between access owner and access secretary person. So I think this matter is addressed under that section. With that note, chairperson, I think I, I end my presentation here. Thank you so much for the, your indulgence. Thank you so much. Chairperson? Yes, sir. Thank, thank you so much, Chairperson, for allowing me to make this presentation and your indulgence. I hope I have uh, given you much to think about. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, um, Mr. Scudo. I think you were equal to the task. That is why they had requested you that you should deal with this matter. Thank you very much. Um, honorable members, this is the responses by the department. 
and uh, we will find time as the portfolio committee to have our say in terms of whether we agree with the department um, or there are issues we want to really change. Um, Therefore, I don't know if uh, at this point there is anybody who wants to clarify anything otherwise. We should be ready to commence with the process when we deal with uh, our own issues uh, in the future. Let me take two, three hands for any clarity-seeking questions. Thank you, Nade Skudo. Honorable Honsinger. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, I don't want to prolong our agenda. Um, suffice to just say, um, I'm pleased with the reaction which we received. You will recall that uh, this was in a, an additional public participation uh, process, and it uh, then proved to be of value. And therefore, Chairperson, I thank you for also allowing us because it was exceptional, but it certainly proved to be worthwhile. And therefore, it would rather be seen as a, a credible move by the Portfolio Committee and you as a chair. Thank you, Chair. Your constituency has done very well, uh, Honorable Hunsinger, uh, I must say. Um, Mr. Scudo kept on mentioning your constituency that side. Uh, so thank you very much also for having come, uh, come to the party. Otherwise, the department, I wish to move uh, away from this item. We will interact with the details as we do our work as a portfolio committee. Thank you. You have given us food for thought. Um, Mr. Skudo, kudos. Kudos to you, Mr. Skudo. Thank you very much. I can see you want to love. Uh, when we don't see you. Um, can we then move, uh, honorable members, to the next item? Um, that will be the item that deals with uh, the briefing by the Department of Transport on the International Convention on the Civil Liability for Bankers Oil Pollution damage and this thing says 2001 in terms of section 23 subsection or section 231 subsection 2 of the constitution <clears throat> uh, who's leading us Baba uh, Matia I'm sure the only senior person who's still with us here today Thank you, thank you, uh, uh, Chair, and also thanks to the members. And uh, I must also uh, thank my colleague, uh, Mr. Scudo, for for uh, uh, facilitating this uh, marathon uh, discussion. Thank you very much, uh, my colleague. Uh, Chair, um, we will we will then request uh, the next item, which is the the its purpose is to request uh, this uh, portfolio committee on transport to process the international convention on the civil liabilities for banker, oil pollution 
of 2001 for approval by the House in terms of Section 231.2 of the Constitution. I will then request Mr. Nduli Umpemba to come and, uh, and, 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 and conduct these presentations to the, to the committee. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Over to you, Mr. Nduli. Bamba, thank you, Exit Good. Yes. Good day, um, Chairperson, and thank yes, you, Acting, and thank, thank you, you, Acting, and thank you, Acting Director General, for the for the opportunity to make this presentation. We are grateful to the, the uh, committee and also I would like to thank the minister in absentia and the deputy minister who have assisted us up to so far that the matter is now before your portfolio committee chair. May I just confirm that the screen shows the presentation on international convention on the civil liability for Banga oil pollution damage 2001. Mpemba, you are spoiled for obvious obvious things yes you're right thank you thank you so much uh in this presentation so these are the matters that we will be covering firstly we'll deal with the background and uh, the reason why south africa must accede to the convention the purpose and the provisions of the convention the third slide therefore clarifies that in terms of the cabinet approval of the comprehensive maritime transport policy of 2017, that is particularly in terms of policy statement 33A of the CMTP, the department is uh, uh, committed to promote a coordinated approach to maritime governance and also policy statement number 33B, which provides that cooperative working arrangement between departments with direct or indirect role in the middle of the CMTP shall be promoted. Now, I would like to take the members to 2001, where the International Maritime Organization adopted a historic convention, which is the Civil Liability for Bunker Oil Pollution Damage, whose purpose was to ensure that adequate prompt and effective compensation is available to persons who suffer damage caused by spills of oil when carried as fuel uh, for, uh, as ships by ships bunkers. So the, the, the bunker oil is like the petrol you put into a car for a car to move. It's not petrol that you carry in a tanker to be delivered elsewhere. The convention therefore applies to damage caused on the territory, including the territorial sea and in exclusive economic zones of states parties. The convention met the criteria for entry into force on 18 November 2007 and came into force internationally on 18 November 2008. Now, South Africa then until now had not ratified the convention. So the reasons why we are coming to the portfolio committee uh, is, is because this convention has very strict liability for pollution from oil tankers 
as was established by the International Convention on Civil Liability for All Pollution Damage, the CLC 92. Just to clarify that this convention, the CLC 92, South Africa is a part of that convention, but it only covers uh, oil carried by tankers. So the Bankers Convention was promoted to close the gap. So the absence, uh, so what was not covered by the CLC 92 was the bankers, uh, bankers oil. The status quo then makes it difficult and costly for affected parties, including our country, to file claims and, there, and again creates uncertainties regarding their ability to compensate for clean up uh, in case of major disasters. Affected parties, including South Africa, may not therefore receive the compensation and clean up costs that may be needed in the event of an incident. Our strategy for marine pollution in South Africa, uh, just to remind the members that it is based on four pillars. The first pillar relates to prevention, that we, we take a zero tolerance uh, approach to prevention, that there must, not, there must be no spill. But secondly, civil liability in that those that are found to have spilled, they would then be held liable. And thirdly, compensation and preparedness and response. With the ratification of this convention, if we get the, the blessing of, of, of parliament, this would complete the remaining portion of civil liability. As, as stated that at present we cover tankers and exclude the ship's bunkers. So by adopting the convention, we'll close that gap. Once ratified and deposited with the International Maritime Organization, ship owners operating in South African waters and their insurers will now be obliged and have a responsibility to carry insurance and a certainty in terms of the limitation of liability which uh, they enjoy in terms of the convention. So therefore, the purpose of this presentation this morning is to request the portfolio committee to process the International Convention on Civil Liability for Banga Oil Pollution 2001 for approval by the House in terms of section 231, bracket two of the constitution, section 2312, provide that an international agreement binds the Republic only after it has been approved by a resolution in both the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces. So what is now going to follow is just to take a, 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 a trip uh, along the text of the convention and, and highlighting the, uh, the salient features of the convention. The, the preamble uh, articulates the point that has already been mentioned, but importantly, that as you recall, that South Africa is party to the United Nations Convention, the Law of the Sea of 1982, which provides that states shall take all measures necessary to prevent, reduce, and control pollution of the marine environment. South Africa is doing her part, but also the convention recalls Article 235 of that convention, the, so the, 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 the UN clause, which provides that with the objective of ensuring prompt and adequate compensation in respect of all damage caused by pollution of the marine environment, states shall cooperate 
in the further development of relevant rules of international law. So this relevant rule of international law is this convention that we are bringing to the members this morning. Further, in the preamble, it is noted that the success of the International Convention on Civil Liability for All Pollution Damage of 1992 and the International Convention, the establishment of an international fund for compensation for all pollution damage of 1992 in ensuring that compensation is available to persons who suffer damage caused by pollution resulting from the escape of discharge of oil carried in bulk uh, at sea by ships. South Africa is party to this instrument. Also note, it notes the adoption of the, of the uh, International Convention on Liability Convention for Damage in connection with the courage of hazardous and noxious substances by sea 1996, uh, which has not come into force as yet, which South Africa is party to. It also, so the next part then deals with the, the, the recognition that the importance of establishing strict liability for all forms of all pollution is linked to an appropriate limitation level of that liability. What this actually means is the strict liability means that in the event that oil is found uh, on top of the wa our waters around a particular ship. That ship uh, around which it is found will be held liable for, uh, for damage. So they don't even have to prove that they are not, but we would hold them. So that's a strict liability uh, that the convention brings. It also provides that considering that complementary measures are necessary to ensure the payment of adequate, prompt and effective compensation for damage caused by pollution resulting from escape of discharge of banga oil from ships. I'll then move quickly to deal with the, uh, the definition of what banga oil is. So for purposes of the convention, it means any hydrocarbon mineral oil, including lubricating oil, used or intended to be used for the operation of propulsion of the ship and any residues of such oil. The preventive measures also means any reasonable measures taken by any person after an incident has occurred to prevent or minimize pollution damage. And the incident means any occurrence of series of occurrences having the same origin which causes the pollution damage and create grave and imminent threat of causing such damage. The reason why we have identified these critical definitions because they are, they are key in uh, determining the apportionment of the um, uh, responsibility and the resulting compensation that will be claimed. And this is the definition of the pollution damage, which means a loss or damage caused outside the ship by contamination resulting from the escape of discharge of bunker oil from the ship, where such escape or discharge may occur, provided that compensation for impairment of the environment other than loss of profits from such impairment shall be limited to the cost of reasonable measures of reinstatement actually undertaken or to be undertaken and the cost of preventive measures 
and further loss or damage caused by the preventing measures. So this is the, the meaning of pollution damage and it also provides clarity in terms of the limitation that uh, ship owners would enjoy in terms of the, of the convention and clarifies what uh, would be claimable uh, by the state. Article 2 provides for the scope, uh, which has already been articulated, and if you consider the Maritime Zones Act, that would ex it does explain the meaning of all the areas of the sea that are under the control of the Republic. So this convention covers uh, that scope uh, quite uh, extensively. Article 3 deals with the, the liability of ship owner and and, 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 and provides an exception in paragraph 3.4, which would explain that the ship owner at the time of an incident shall be liable for pollution damage caused by any bunker oil on board or originating from the ship, provided that if an incident consists of series of occurrences having the same origin, liability shall attach to the ship owner at the time of the first of such occurrences. Let's say, for instance, the, the, the first occurrence happened along the coast of Mozambique into South Africa. So all those uh, occurrences and the spills would be covered. So you would have a situation where Mozambique would be able to claim uh, equally as South Africa would have a right to claim. Article 3. Uh, provides also for cases where there is no liability. And these, these circumstances involve, firstly, the damage resulting from an act of war, if there is a military conflict, and uh, B, the damage was wholly caused by an act or omission done with intent to cause damage by a third party. Uh, the damage was also wholly caused by the negligence or other wrongdoing of uh, or wrongful act of any government or other authorities responsible for the maintenance of flights or other navigational aids in the exercise. So where it is clearly uh, that the cause was not by the ship itself, then there would be no uh, uh, attachment of liability. There are exclusions and the exclusions pertain to uh, that the convention would not apply uh, in pollution damage as defined in the Civil Liability Convention under uh, whether or not compensation is payable in respect of it under that convention. So this relates to recall that the Civil Liability Convention covers the tankers, so that would not be part of this convention, and also exception as provided in paragraph 3, the provisions of this convention shall not apply to warships, and state party may decide to apply the convention to its warships. And so we have that prerogative in terms of applying it, but in terms of the convention, it does not uh, cover that. With also respect to ships owned by state parties and, are, and, and, and used for commercial purposes, each state shall be subject to suit in the jurisdiction set forth in Article 9. So all these uh, constitute a list of exceptions. Article 5 deals with the incidents involving two or more ships, and it provides that when an incident involving two or more ships and, and, uh, occurs and pollution damage results therefrom, the ship owners of all the two ships shall, or shall be covered unless exonerated under Article 3, 
recall Article 3 in cases where they are not responsible, it's war or it's, it's a mistake of the, of the state party. There is limitation of liability and the provision is that the registered owner of a ship having a gross tonnage greater than 1,000 uh, tonnage registered in the state party shall be required to maintain insurance or other financial security as the guarantee or a bank or similar financial institution to cover the liability. And further, a certificate attesting that insurance or other financial security is enforced in accordance with the provisions of this code shall be used, shall be issued to each part, each ship after the appropriate uh, uh, authority of a state has determined the requirements in terms of paragraph one. And the state party shall not permit uh, a ship under its flag to which this article applies to operate unless it has this certificate of a limitation of liability. The, the Article 7 provides for compulsory carriage of the, of the certificate because this is the mechanism for uh, enforcement of the convention. So uh, once we are parties to this, so SAMSA would have the responsibility of enforcing this, and the mechanism of enforcing it is to check whether the ship that's called, that has called on our port or is traversing our waters has this certificate uh, on board. Article 8 provides for time limits, and this is now in case where an, an incident has already happened, and what is the, uh, until what period would you be entitled to, uh, to, to claim? And the six years is, is provided as the maximum in which a state can claim. And where the incident consists of a series of occurrences, the six years period shall run from the date of the first such occurrence. So the minimum, the maximum is six years under which you can claim under the convention. Article nine provides for jurisdiction uh, and it clarifies that where an incident has caused pollution damage in the territory, including the territorial sea or in Eric referred to in Article two, uh, A Roman two of one or more state parties or preventing measures have been taken to prevent or minimize pollution damage in such territory, including territorial sea or in such area actions for compensation against the ship owner and insurer or other person providing security for the ship owner's liability may be brought only in the courts of any such state's parties. So there's a reasonable notice provisions and each state party shall ensure that its courts have jurisdiction to entertain actions for compensation under this convention. Article 10 provides for recognition and enforcement uh, of judgments given by a court with jurisdiction in accordance with Article 9, which is enforceable in the state of origin, where it is no longer subject to ordinary forms of review, shall be recognized in any state part. And this is where the cooperation and the spirit of working together by, by, by parties to the convention is, uh, uh, is cemented. At, uh, articles 9, uh, 12 to 19 uh, contain general provisions relating to signature, ratification, acceptance, approval, entry into force, amendments, depository transmission, 
and languages. So we will not go through those in detail. Before we came here, Chair, we went all over to ensure that we consulted those that would be impacted by the Republic's decision to accede to the convention and those are listed there and you can see that it is a comprehensive list of stakeholders that we uh, that we consulted with these chair members uh, 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 director general uh, our request therefore is that we request approval of the international convention of civil liability for panga oil pollution 2001 in terms of section 2312 of the constitution i thank you for your attention chairperson uh, Thank you very much uh, for, the, for the presentation, sir. Thank you. I, you are straightforward. I funi rule alone. Us funela ge guti se approve uhambe mpepeto. Umuntu lugonja utobani. Ambilu tumsa. Umpemba, umpemba. Ndelega uh, there is a process, honorable members, <clears throat> that we shall be following to assist the department. For now, we can take the presentation as being here. I know there is a process that uh, the, that should be followed um, by uh, Valerie. And uh, then thereafter, we can do what we are requested to do. This thing must first go through the ATC. And I will request uh, Valerie to do that immediately. Honorable May. Thank you, Chairperson. I'd only like to ask only one question. We are talking about the dumping of oil. What about toxic? Cargo. Toxic cargo. Yeah, we have had the ship about, I think it's about six weeks ago in Durban. And uh, I would like to know what was the deciding factors that determined dumping toxic cargo of NSS Queen Dow. I think that's the name of a ship. I'm not 100% sure. Only 250 kilos from uh, our coast and not further. I know we are discussing oil, but I mean, toxic cargo is such a big problem. Thank you, Honorable May. You, you always um, raise these issues and uh, they will answer you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Take toxic cargo. Honorable Unsinger. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. I have three questions, if you will allow this, uh, please, Chair. Um, thank, thank you very much, Chair. Uh, firstly, thank you very much for the uh, presentation. Um, uh, I would like to ask a question on your slide five. There was a reference um, about a, the status quo, which make um, it difficult to file claims. Um, can you just uh, expand on that particular bullet point? I think it was bullet point number three. Uh, on your slide five, that the status quo, in other words, the current conditions, make it difficult to file claims. 
then uh, just a, a question out of curiosity um how how would one handle the situation where it is found that more than one vessel has been responsible uh, for a particular uh, situation of pollution um i also know that uh, there's been debate on lowering the limits of a particular claim where liability would be triggered um how how what is the process in determining the volume of dumping or the volume of spillage um because uh, this bunker um um uh, is is rather relates to the own use um rather than the storage of the use but how is this thing determined um and uh, what is the current status with regards to uh, coastal states neighboring us in other words namibia mozambique and madagascar um because you sit with a serious um element of determination uh, and also uh, territorial waters if you could just give us some clarity on that thank you chapers uh, thank you very much uh, honorable singer babundul mbem Thank you. Thank you, uh, Chairperson. And, 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 and thank you to uh, the members who have asked the, the questions. Uh, I'll start with the question raised by uh, Honorable Member Peter May with regards to the uh, related question of uh, the incident uh, concerning the dumping of the toxic cargo. So what we saw happening in the uh, down there in the Cape related to the preventive measure. So so that is covered in the Marine Pollution Prevention Act, which gives the authority to the South African Maritime Safety Authority to act very swiftly in responding to an incident that poses as a risk to damage the environment. The report that we have received state and brings comfort to the department in terms of our legislation and policies that the action that was taken uh, prevented what could have been a major disaster for us. The dumping itself was coordinated with the cooperation of the Department of uh, 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 Environmental Affairs and uh, the site that was chosen to, to dump is an established site uh, determined by that department, which is the custodian of uh, um, uh, protection pollution prevention generally in the country. So although it is uh, not directly related to this, but it is a matter, I must as well state that the parliament also approved the ratification of the HNS uh, protocol, which South Africa is now a party. That protocol has not come into force as yet, but it is about to come into force, which deals with the harmful and noxious substances carried by ships. So once it is enforced, we'll even get a much uh, greater protection 
because even though we could have an incident at present, H&S cargo incidents would not be covered. It's not only South Africa, but globally, because that instrument has not come into force as yet. The question raised by uh, Honorable Hans Singer relates to claims in, in cases where there's more than one, uh, one ship or state the recalling that for an incident to take place, there must be ships involved. So we would then treat the definition of states as, as meaning the, 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 the ships of states parties to more than one ship state parties involved in an incident. Article five covers that, that they will be jointly and severally responsible for, uh, for the damage. And the uh, post the, um, the apportionment of responsibility, there is an assessment, a technical assessment, which would determine the, the source and the extent of the, uh, and the extent of the damage. And, and this also linked to how then and how the limitation is determined. Uh, the, the convention stipulates that the limitation is with regard to, firstly, the extent of the, of the spill itself and the, the, the amount of work that will be required to, to deal with it, either to stop the, the further spill, to contain it, and, and also then post that process, there will be another assessment in terms of the damage to, for instance, to, uh, to, the, to a living, marine living resources, fish, so you would have um, an assessment that would then state that this is amount of uh, um, uh, cost that, that would be involved in the rehabilitation of, uh, of the marine environment. And it will also cover costs related to, let us assume that the, 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 the spill reached uh, the shore and it damaged the uh, 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 tourism potential of the Republic, all those costs are then part of the assessment that would then be uh, undertaken by the state in cooperation with the International Maritime Organization. Now, there was a related question as well, which, which relates to, I think, uh, the slide number five, where we mentioned that at present, there was a challenge of claiming. And the reason why there is a challenge at the moment is that even if we were to have a spill today involving banker fuel, we would not have any leg to stand on in terms of claiming for that damage if it is proven that it was as a result of banker oil uh, um, escaping from the ship because we are not parties to the conference. But we would only be able to claim for banker carried by the tankers. So that's the urgency and the seriousness of the risk that we, that the Republic is exposed to. Um, so I think, uh, Chair, I have, I think I, I, I've, I've covered all the matters raised by the honorable members and I 
uh, I submit. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mpemba, for submitting. Um, Valerie? The, um, the adoption of the report on the convention is scheduled for next week. I will forward members uh, the very short report, if not today, by tomorrow afternoon. Um, if the committee agrees to it, it will be 86 and slotted in on the program for the National Assembly for consideration and approval. Members, may I see an agreement to the process by raising of hands. Uh, the Peter May, Honorable Peter May. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The committee agrees. I can see hands from Honorable Peter May, Honorable Tamsanga Mabena, Keta Mabala Stola. That is sufficient. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Chris Unsinga raising his hand also and saying, war, war. Okay, thank you very much. Can we lower our hands and move to the last item of the day? Um, the last item of the day, according to my agenda here, is consideration and adoption of the minutes. Am I correct, Valerie? That is correct, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable members, we had three items um, on the 15th of February. The first item was briefing by the Minister of Transport on the festive season road accident fatalities. Uh, <clears throat> members saw the report and had views in terms of the report. Um, just to say, one member even said, uh, now that we have stats from uh, RTMC, there should be a program that runs for 365 days. Uh, just to quote, the second item was deliberations on the economic regulation of transport bill. Uh, there was a presentation that suggested, uh, indicated actually that there were 12 uh, written submissions on this. And I guess that presentation is the one that necessitated this marathon presentation by the department today. And the last uh, issue was the consideration and adoption of the minutes of the 25th of January. I've gone through the minutes. The minutes are correct. Can we move for adoption of the minutes of the 15th of February? Uh, Honorable McDee. Uh, Chairperson, thank you very much. Chairperson, I move for the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection of the meeting. Chairperson, thank you. Thank you very much. Any seconder? The minutes must be seconded. 
So nobody wants to second the minutes. That's a problem today, man. Uh, Honorable Mangu seconds the oh, adoption yeah. of the minutes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for rescuing us. We are so tired today. Valerie, our next meeting is on the on the first of March. Am I correct? That is correct, Chair. Agenda items. Chair, from next week, the committee will start getting feedback from the legal advisors on the draft proposed amendments to the National Road Traffic Amendment Bill. That that will be the main agenda item from next week, Chair. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that the acting DG Madia. Are you still with us, sir? Yes, Chair, I'm still here. There is a, a, a bit of a, a challenge from your side. The two presentations that uh, we had three presentations, in fact, by the time you were presenting the first yes. presentation and I guess the second presentation, you presented what we, you did not send to us. It means the presentation was different from what we had. Uh, I did not want to really make a big issue, but it is a big issue. Uh, if uh, this committee was another committee, the committee would have said, no, we did not have the did not receive this presentation, it would have caused a very big issue. I did raise this matter last week, saying presentations must come on time. It has changed a bit. Presentations were presented, but different presentations were then uh, presented. So I want to request the department humbly to try and close that loophole. Valerie is very angry with me that I did not raise that matter. Uh, I thought I should raise it at the end and say, please correct that matter. Well noted, Chair, and we apologize for that. I will make sure that the updated uh, presentations, especially the ones that were presented today, will be circulated through the Secretary. Thank you, Chair. Going, forward, so going forward, work through the presentation. Once you have a final presentation, send it yes. to us yes. so that you can be professional, me and you. you, you that's Absolutely. the request. Thank you no very much. Well Thank you very much. Honorable members, uh, let me take this opportunity and the department's official and everybody that is here to say this was a very fruitful meeting. Uh, hope we continue in this trajectory. Uh, from myself, uh, the meeting is officially adjourned. Long live. See you everybody. next month. See you next month. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. We'll see you next month in a new month. Those I'm going on holiday 29th and the 30th yeah, of February. Enjoy. Enjoy, enjoy the holiday. The end. <laughs>